This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Today, uh, man, we're taking it on one more day before the big election day. And so we're, we're, going to, we're going to clear the decks. It'll kind of be two days for us. We'll, ah. we'll have two mornings before it's actually over. Morning is the word. I don't know what that meant. Welcome to the program. Um, we will be getting into in-depth uh, as, as we prepare you for the vote. What do you need to know? Who, uh, I mean, where's where's Director Comey stand today? It's all there. It changes. We will get into all of this fun with the BYU Assistant Professor of Political Science. Um, Michael Barber will be joining us. And we were, we're just going to pick his brain. I mean, I, I think a political um, a professor in political science has got to be, I don't know, having a really hard year. It could either be depressing or really exciting. Yeah, maybe really interesting for him. Because you're watching a whole new narrative on how to run an election, how or not, you d- know. D- did the electorate change, what does that mean for the future, right. that kind of stuff. Right. Plus things happening like the FBI becoming involved this late in an election. And then trying not to be. And then not being. And then plus Jay-Z. Right. <laughs> it's a big day. So much to talk about uh, there. It's also Hug-A-Bear Day. Hi, I'm Snuggle. Let's make the world a softer place. Let's snuggle. <laughs> hmm. What a great message. Is that in accordance with the tone of this show? Yeah, okay. totally. I just didn't know. Hi, Snuggle. Seems to change. And trying to make the world a softer place. We And we need that on the eve of the big election. My clothes need that especially. Really? Yeah. Are they especially soiled or something? No, they're, just, they're especially rough. He needs them softer. <laughs> well, yeah, but if they're, if they're soiled, then you use extra detergent. They yeah, become let's rough. not use the word soiled. Really? Yeah. It's it such just, a good word. Well, if he was six months, yeah. It's just weird. Oh, yeah. Um, hug a bear day. Mm. Those were the best commercials, though. Oh, yeah. You saw that and all you thought of was softness. You knew you wanted to hug that little bear. I had one. Really? When I was a little kid, my mom used the uh, proof of purchases from those uh, that product and got, got, me, a a, got me a snuggle bear. Wow, that yeah. explains a lot. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of people wouldn't admit that, but why not? I don't know. Just I was a kid. You have toys. Yeah, you still have it though. I heard. No, no. Come on, Mm-mm. shoot straight. Nope. Okay. Wow. So, um. We'll get to all that fun, plus some other stories you might even need to know or want to know. I mean, it's possible. There's more going on than just Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. There was an earthquake. Yeah. In Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska, right through that region. Mm-hmm. 5.0. You know, it's an earthquake hotbed now. Did it have anything to do with fracking? Indetermined at the moment. Good. But, you know, could. Yeah. Plus, uh, did you see, we'll talk about it, um, the SNL kind of salute to voting. 
That was probably the most positive SNL sketch I've ever seen. Yeah. I think it just shows you how desperately they they feel this situation is. Yes. Because normally, they, I don't know that they'd ever go that way. No, they just rail on both of them and move on. But now they've decided they need to step like, forward seriously. and be a, you know, a voice, don't a voice of reason. Vote. you got to vote. We'll get to all that fun. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? FBI Director James Comey wrote in a letter to congressional leaders Sunday that the agency has not found anything new that would warrant changes against Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton for her use of a private email server while Secretary of State. Based on our review, we have not changed our conclusions that we expressed in July with respect to Secretary Clinton, Comey wrote Sunday in a letter sent to members of Congress. Aides to Donald Trump do not let him tweet anymore, according to the New York Times story, which details Trump's behind-the-scenes demeanor as the campaign winds down. While Trump publicly shows he is confident in an election day victory, the Times writes that Trump is privately expressing worry about his chances of defeating Hillary Clinton. Indeed, the insults and other musings that have been a hallmark of the Republican nominee's Twitter account have lessened in frequency in recent weeks. The account is now primarily used for promoting rallies and sharing campaign videos and photos, in addition to pro-Trump articles from sites like Breitbart. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, a Donald Trump supporter and advisor, said on Sunday that FBI Director James Comey caved while he announced to lawmakers that the agency is not changing its conclusion on whether to indict Hillary Clinton over her private private email server. Comey must know under enormous must be under enormous political pressure to cave like this and announce something that he can't possibly know, Gingrich tweeted Sunday afternoon. And finally, yes. Uh, we have another story from China. All the all the f- interesting stories are coming from China. China and Florida. Yes. So a and group- the FBI. Yes. <laughs> Uh, A group of witnesses banded together in China to lift a van that had backed over a man, trapping Mm. him beneath the vehicle. The video recorded Saturday shows the white van reversing into Shanghai Street, rolling onto a man and riding behind it, riding behind it on a motor scooter. The footage shows more than a dozen people run to the van to lift it off of the man. And the man is expected to recover from his injuries. So how many people then lifted the van? A dozen. Sheesh. It looks like there was... There was quite a few people surrounding the van, but the initial people who were under and lifting the van, was it was about a dozen. That's good. It's interesting. When that adrenaline is pumping, you can oh, yeah. do some amazing things. Amazing. Oh, totally. My uh, um, friend, he was in a motorcycle accident when he was younger. You know those little motorcycles? He, yeah, those he, little mini things. He ha- was on a dirt road and he crossed with a truck. And he like slid under the truck, like as because like he tried to stop, but he couldn't. And yeah. so he slid under the truck. And so he was stuck. And so his dad like had so much energy and adrenaline that he just went and like picked it up and he was Whoa, able to scoot out. That's crazy. It's amazing. What Is you your can friend do. okay? Yeah, he's okay. Woo! Does he still own that mini motorcycle? No. Did mm. he learn his lesson? Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> That is, it's true. That's superhuman, especially when there's like a family member or somebody that. You know, you really, really. It's kind of the origin love. story of the Hulk. Oh boy! <laughs> he was irradiated. Then there was a car accident. And he he was not able to harness that rage to pick up the vehicle. Wait, wait. Let me do it. Nerd alert! I'm Nerd saying. alert! <laughs> it's in there. You beat me. <laughs> you had to go there. I mean, what it was? It was in the Sadie shares the most incredible the Lou, Lou story Ferrigno about a friend sh- that almost what? 
died. Yeah, and way. they and lifted a car. It's just like in the Hulk. But this was a true story. Yeah. <laughs> this guy wasn't green. Nobody knows if the Hulk this wasn't true. in a This wasn't in a 50-cent comic. I don't know. Maybe it's more than that. They're but. about a dollar and a half at times. Nerd! Yep. How's your, uh, how was your weekend? Wonderful. Did you watch a lot of nerdy shows? No, just some football. Yeah. Huh. BYU won. Yeah. 20 to If you call three? it winning. They sort of stumbled to a win. Well, they stumbled to 20 points, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you keep saying eh. Took them four quarters to score 20 points. Well, how many points did you score last weekend? <sighs> With who? Good point. Yeah. With your wife, because you took her to go see oh, she Doctor asleep. Strange. She fell asleep what? Doctor uh, Strange. So that was a negative ah. seven points. Yeah. I'm like, there's the eye of Agamotto. And I went, oh, my God. Oh, she's asleep. And I look over. Like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm tired. I'm sorry. You've got an infant. See, got, no excuse. <laughs> you no were upset excuse. she fell asleep for the eye of Agamotto. Agamotto. Yoshi. And then I was ecstatic. The cloak of levitation popped out. Really? And just started floating around the room. And I'm like, I just, again. Uh, I think the word is levitating. She's asleep. 3D? Levitating around 3D IMAX? No, she can't watch no. that. Okay. Drives her nuts. Plus, she can't be in the recliner chair. We did see it in a. Uh, that just knock her out. They call it an XD experience, which just means a bigger screen and it's really loud. So uh, we won't do that oh, again. Oh, X meaning extra big and D meaning deaf. Yeah, it just it was crazy. That sounds like a great theater. I actually popped in. I had my headphones with me, so I popped them in as kind of noise canceling because it was just it was too much. Where were the kids? The kid was with, at home with my sister. The baby? Both of them, yeah. I didn't take my boy. Yeah. Sounds like a great day. It was wonderful for me. We played tennis, watched games. What else did I do? Hmm. Got my car registered. Really fun stuff. It's good. Yeah. So now I'm legal. I thought three months into it, I ought to get it registered. That's a good call. I mean, I'm not usually the the first to get something done. <laughs> but uh, this time I was almost the last person in the state to register their car. Got to stay on this side of the mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Did you, did you also register to vote at the same time? Already voted. Oh, good. I voted a month ago. Well, and, three weeks ago. Yeah. That's something we should talk about coming up. Why? This It seems like early voting has been – a emphasis this time yeah. around, and how has that changed the way the candidates have uh, ran their, you know, their campaigns? And with voters, in the sense that you vote a month ago, and then all these things happen, and it, you don't get to change your vote. You, you kind of want to well. do over. Is there any data on people that have changed their votes? Because there know. are some states that are allowing that. Sure. Right? Well, are there? Yeah, that's right. It's possible. I don't know if they want you to. Like well. in Wisconsin, you did up to three times. Apparently, I think that just get annoying. <laughs> I think I misvoted. Just figure this out. 90,000 Democrats have voted – 90,000 more Democrats have voted in Florida than Republicans in early voting. The guy I was listening to this morning was talking about they know about registered Republicans, registered Democrats, but then there's a huge pile of independents who are not registered either way and they They don't don't know know how they voted. They don't know how they're going, huh? Yeah. So they they say there's numbers coming out of Florida, but they're not accurate because they don't know what people are doing. They just know what party they're affiliated with. How fun is this? That's why our next guest will be great because he'll walk us through what really matters, you know? What What do you need to know? What do you want to know? Well, what one thing you can know is it's almost over. Yeah, that this is true. Tomorrow, probably by midnight Eastern, there will be a uh, a winner. Um, <laughs> um, 
President Obama, did you see this, did a really interesting thing where he stood up for a Trump voter. Yes. A guy interrupted his speech he was giving at a campaign stop and he said, hey, hold on. And then he said, first off, he goes, looks like he was a military veteran. Yeah. So we need to respect that. He's an older gentleman. We need to respect that. He has an opinion. This, we have freedom of speech in this country. We must respect that. And then he does his, you how, know. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, listen to uh, what he says about the people that were booing him. On the one hand, you have somebody who may be the most qualified person ever to run for the presidency. On the other hand, you've got the Donald. Don't boo. Vote. Don't boo. Vote. Don't boo. He can't hear your boos, but he can hear your vote. That was his whole, that was what he was doing all weekend. He's been doing that for weeks. Don't boo. Vote. And apparently they're voting. People are voting. It's happening. It's happening. Um, I wonder if Newt Gingrich thinks Trump will win or Hillary Clinton will win. Either way, it looks like difficult years ahead. No, I think tragically we have drifted into an environment where if Hillary is elected, the criminal investigations will be endless. And if Trump is elected, it'll be just like Madison, Wisconsin with Scott Walker. The opposition of the government employee unions will be so hostile and so direct and so immediate uh, that it'll be a continuing fight over who controls the country. Uh, I think that we are in for a long, difficult couple of years, uh, maybe a decade or more. Wow, that's a positive outlook. Wow. Sounds just negative. <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. Now, if you remember in Wisconsin, that was that was pretty ugly. The teachers' union in the uh, Wisconsin Capitol rotunda protesting, right? Whatever the you know the rules they were trying to pass, and then Scott Walker just sort of pushed it through. Um, but in that whole situation, you end up watching the cable news, and they're vilifying teachers, mm. calling them some sort of uh, an, a, a, a when an elite class, they, they get these high-rate paychecks and all that. Like, are we talking about public school teachers? Who, who are we talking about Well, public here? school teacher makes a lot of money. But that was kind of the argument that started coming out in this story that was really, really odd. So I'm really hoping he's not uh, not right about that because that wasn't an interesting uh, time there. That it's, was it's interesting. Sad. It does show you how, how strange the election is. Trump today will have some stops in Minnesota, yeah. Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, North Carolina, and Florida. It's a big day. They're all over the place. He, I think the North Carolina one is at midnight Eastern. Now, so really? he's literally, he's, he's, he, I read this morning before we came on the show, he's late to his first one today. They ran out of uh, speakers, the kind of warm up act, now they're just playing music. So that he's late getting there. So he's late on the schedule already. And then midnight Eastern, he's supposed to end this day. But apparently the Trumps and the Clinton teams are, are reading the same data because Clinton is in virtually every one of the same states. Yes. I'm going to beat her so easily. I haven't even started on her yet. Now, this should be foretelling. Minnesota, not usually a state you'd need to visit if you're a Democrat. No. Because it would be wrapped up by now. Michigan should be wrapped up by now. Pennsylvania, wrapped up by now. New Hampshire, North Carolina. I mean, some of these, North Carolina, New Hampshire could very easily go Republican now. Mm -hmm. This morning, I believe I saw a poll showing that uh, uh, Clinton was up by 11. In New, in, in New Hampshire. Now that's one poll. Yeah. That was the Clinton Foundation poll. Yeah. It was internal polls. They like so we, we'll, we will be talking with the pros that really know. In other news. Yeah. 
The U.S. stocks futures climbed. The Mexican peso gained new life and markets in Asia rallied overnight after the news came that the FBI again concluded that Hillary Clinton should not face criminal liability. Yeah, nada. So not uh, as we've been following the peso, whenever, you know, news about... Hold on, say that again. When we follow the peso and, you know, it's positive... We? we when it's positive Trump news, the peso goes down. Ah, positive yeah. Clinton news, right? the peso goes up. The peso jumped 2.1% overnight. What did, positive Clinton news. Jeff, what did Confucius say about the peso? He said, never trust your pesos to, I, I, I don't the, know. The wind of <laughs> politics. Don't count yes. your pesos before you earn them? Before they hatch, yeah. Yeah. Peso hatching. It's all there. Uh, <laughs> crazy, crazy election stuff. Follow the peso, folks, and you'll know who's going to win the election. It's true because Nevada has huge turnout with Hispanic vote. Arizona has been put back in play because of the Hispanic vote. Come on. Says who? Says who? Says the pollsters. In a minute, we'll come back with Dr. Michael Barber here from BYU's Department of Political Science. We're talking what you need to know before you head to the polls. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ho, 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 happy Election Eve. Or is it Merry? Merry Election Eve. Uh, with the election tomorrow, we know voters must have questions, so we wanted to bring in a true blue expert. Dr. Michael Barber joins us. He's an assistant professor for the BYU Department of Political Science, and he's here to walk us through everything we need to know before hitting the polls tomorrow. Dr. Michael Barber, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. What, a, uh, what does a political science professor do on the eve of the big election? Anything different? We do radio interviews. <laughs> That's exactly what you do. You probably are are busy. I mean, you've had a year of just working with students, too, talking about this, and probably all day, every day. Are you glad it's over almost? I will be really happy uh, when this is all over and done with. This is an unprecedented election cycle, and it's uh, it's been... It's been stressful as a political scientist just because so much is uh, so much has happened in the last 18 months that oh. has kind of thrown American politics into a place that it's not been in the past. Yeah. And, and is it is that interesting or is is it for you? Is it scary for a lot of us? It's like terrifying. Uh, I think we share that feeling. Okay, it's been good. interesting. But at the same time, in many ways, a lot of the things that have happened have been uh, disconcerned, uh, disconcerting about kind of the direction of. Uh, the tone and tenor of politics in the United States and some of the the kind of norms of uh, democracy that that seem to be eroding in in this particular election cycle. We went from 17 GOP members and until they, you know, after all the filtering, we got Donald Trump. Apparently. That's that's who they picked. And then out of the three or was it or four maybe out of the Dems, they got Hillary Clinton, even though pretty much everybody knew. And some of the emails now show it was inevitable. More um, or less. But we're down to these top two candidates apparently. But it also doesn't seem like overall anyone was pleased really like – I mean, well, not anyone. The majority of people weren't incredibly pleased with their choices. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely been the case, more so on the Republican side than the Democratic side. If you look at uh, recent polling of Democrats and Republicans um, in the past, partisans tend to eventually settle on. And, and as the nomination uh, wraps up, there's you know some hurt feelings as yeah. um, people are losing and that sort of thing. But by the time of the general election, the the team kind of rallies around their nominee and you end up getting very high levels of support for both the Republican and Democratic nominee. That's been the case among the Democrats. There's widespread support among Democrats for Hillary Clinton at this point. Many people who supported Bernie Sanders in the uh, in the primary have have come around and they're they're you know knocking on doors for Hillary. Yeah. Uh, that's been much less the case for Donald Trump. There's still a lot of hurt feelings out there. There's a lot of people who just can't bring themselves to support him in the Republican side. Now that's not to say that he's I mean he's going to get an overwhelming majority of Republican support, but it's uh, it's less so the case than uh, the the amount of Democratic support that Hillary Clinton is likely to get. Is, it seems like many people supporting Clinton really are really anti-Trump. True. So it's almost more their hatred toward Trump is greater than their love for Hillary. Does that – what does that do to turnout? It almost seems like – and it even seems like Donald was trying to do this to drive down turnout – by just making this so nauseating. Yeah. yeah, so that's called negative partisanship is Ugh. the term that we give for it. Yeah. Basically, I'm voting for this person not because I particularly like them, but because I hate the other person so much. <laughs> um, and it, it, I mean, it can be effective yeah. in motivating people to turn out. Uh, but you're also talking about demobilizing people by, uh, well, there's a variety of ways that campaigns can work to demobilize the electorate. And in in many ways, Donald Trump has kind of worked against himself because one of the one of the most common ways to demobilize people is to make them think that their vote doesn't matter, that the system is rigged, that there's you know nothing they can do to affect the outcome. And so as he's kind of gone around the country saying this, he may have actually been hurting his own support mm. because this is going to make people think, well, what's the point? Why should I go vote? You know, right. it's, it's a rigged system or something. Yeah, right. Like that. Well, in fact, we have. Quotes all the time about how rigged the system is. In fact, play quote three. Listen to this. This is Trump on how Clinton is protected by that rigged system. Hillary Clinton will be under investigation for a long, long time for her many crimes against our nation, our people, our democracy, likely concluding in a criminal trial. Lock her up. No, you have to understand, it's a rigged system, and she's protected. I mean, and he, he, what he does masterfully, which is, seems unethical at times, um, is he speaks uh, an opinion as if it's a fact. Yeah. Like, she will be People are indicted. saying. Uh, that's right. Isn't yeah. it amazing? But that's the system. Like, the system is rigged. It's rigged. Hillary Clinton's going to win. What? How does America hear this for 18 months and not think it's a rigged system? Yeah, it's really damaging, and it's not something that we want from one of the major party nominees. It uh, it hurts perceptions of the American political system. It's not, uh, I you know, this should not come as a surprise to anyone, but it's not a rigged system. Yeah. The United States has an incredibly well-run electoral system. There has been 
study after study looking into the incidence of voter fraud. It's nearly non-existent in the United States. We have free and fair elections. Uh, and to have a major party nominee suggesting otherwise is really damaging to uh, people's perceptions of democracy here in the United States, but it has effects worldwide because people mm. look to the United States as an example of kind of how elections should be run, the gold standard of free and fair elections. And if people around the world uh, start to think, well, that's not the case in the United States, you can see those norms right. eroding around the world as well. So well, we, we send people to Iraq to run their elections right. And then all of a sudden, we supposedly have this rig system. Yeah. So there's, and then he wouldn't, he wouldn't say that he would recognize the results. And that's which is so it's anti-American it's in a way, right? It's truly anti, unprecedented because you have to sustain the, you have to show some respect and honor to the tradition of the election process, right? Yeah. As you're running, absolutely. Yeah. Again, truly unprecedented to. To say that you're not going to accept the outcome of the election uh, unless you win, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, which true. is just – that's you just unheard that. of in yeah. the United States. I mean even if you go back to our, our most controversial election in 2000 mm. and we had uh, you know, a series of recounts in Florida and you know, to, to point to that and say, well, look, this, is, this has happened in the past. That's not the case. Al Gore – Al Gore conceded. Al Gore actually presided over the counting of the electoral votes in the Senate that announced his loss. Mm. So, to you know, there's just there's no examples of this in the past of, of major party nominees not accepting the outcome of the election. Well, and some of this is, um, I mean, Donald Trump has been part of the establishment as, as far as the financial payment to the establishment sure. forever. And and I, I mean, in a weird way, it's not rigged electorally. It's not rigged by people cheating and stealing from ballot boxes. But it is seemingly kind of rigged where uh, Hillary Clinton basically ran roughshod over the Dems, didn't she? I mean, she won fairly, but she also had help of her own party chair. She sure. had support. She had Donna Brazile's yeah. questioning. I mean, all these email things that are coming out, some of which, who knows if we can trust everything about it. But, I mean, it is still rigged. So the average Joe just won't make it to president. Right. So I wouldn't use the word yeah. rigged to describe that. But I think what it is, is, yeah, there's a process by which we choose candidates. And it's no surprise that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton did the things that a person does to get the nomination. It's yeah. not surprising that the Democratic Party preferred the candidate who was a Democrat. Yeah. Bernie Sanders right. is not a Democrat. Yeah, an and so right. when, someone, when someone says, oh, well, the party was in it for Hillary, it's, of course they were. Yeah, exactly. you know, why, would they, they, why would they not want the candidate that is most likely to win the general election? Right. And parties do this and have done this for decades. They uh, you know, candidates seek for the endorsements of sitting election, elected officials. Uh, they look for the endorsement of party officials at the state level, things like that. Uh, this is in, in political science. There's a, a great book called The Invisible Primary, and it talks about the work that candidates do prior to the primary election mm. to shore up support from these various people and organizations. Oh, uh, and that's yeah. exactly what what Hillary Clinton did. And it's what many Republicans did. It just failed to kind of work for them this time right. around. Oh, right. Well, and, um, it seems like you tell me if 
if a Rubio or um, I guess anybody else, a Bush, <laughs> a Jeb Bush, had been able to get through that primary, Donald Trump, if he hadn't made it, it seems like Hillary would have been a lot easier target. Oh, absolutely. This was an election that Republicans should have won. Everything was pointing towards a, either a very close election or a uh, an election that was leaning towards Republicans. You've had eight years of a Democratic president. Uh, that typically means that you're, the country's ready for change in terms of the party that controls the presidency. Uh, you have an economy that's growing but not growing especially fast, which supports mm. the idea of a, a change in the party that controls the White House. These were – you know, these were all signs pointing to healthcare is recoiling yeah. now. I mean, it's it's these lined are all, up. These are all things that point to a and a flawed candidate in Hillary Clinton. Absolutely, an election that should have been won by Republicans, uh, but they they made the possibly the worst decision they could have made in terms of the the, the candidate that would be the most likely to lose. Does that tell us that the process may not be? I mean, especially in a divided party. Like the Republicans were so divided, right? Um, sure. By I guess the, through the evangelicals, but the um, kind of the anti-government establishment, and then the traditional kind of hierarchical, typical Republican that's been winning lately. Um, it's divided. So, sure. is the primary the best way to choose a candidate? Because they had seventeen yeah. people vying for yeah. it, and that may have messed it up too, right? Just sheer numbers. Nobody had enough energy to overcome the automatic popularity of Trump in the beginning. I think that was probably what happened was you have so many people that split support among the Republican mm. Party that the only candidate that really could emerge from that, uh, you know, just giant group of people was the one that had really high name recognition. He's an incredibly famous person. And so everybody knew his name at the outset. Uh, but then above that, he he used the media uh, in a way that a candidate has not done before, which was he would say something incredibly offensive. The media would then give him nonstop oh, coverage of $2 billion that thing, worth, just free coverage. Yeah. And, and as a result, in, at least in the primary, coverage basically equals support because yeah. you're basically trying to rise above – this kind of cacophony of, of voices and, you know, $2 billion in free media is going to do that for you. So the media is to blame. <laughs> I mean, I guess that that's another interesting thing because the media, you know, helped elevate him am amongst the other 16. But the the media also has become a part of bringing him down in the general. Sure. So is that part of the rigged i think that's what donald would be screaming was rigged too is yeah but donald's also nobody has ever manipulated the media better as better than, than yeah. donald trump i was i would say he's he's really good at using the media uh in the way that he would like and so it's hard for me to believe that he's uh that he honestly thinks that the, the, the media is rigged against him when he's so but successfully he says it, used and he it. says it right in his meetings and then everybody turns and glares at the <laughs> <laughs> the poor reporters in the room. Oh, that's crazy. Let's take a break, Michael. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Barber here from Brigham Young University. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science. And uh, we're just picking his brain about this uh, election, giving you the information you need to make the big decisions that are coming up. When we come back, we will uh, find out what he thinks about the FBI's insertion in the last 10 days in this. Was it just transparency? Was it manipulation of the 
of the election electoral process. Also, uh, you know, any predictions he may have coming down the pike here. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Election Eve. I don't know what we call it. Happy Election Eve. One more day. All Hallows Election Eve. Yeah. <laughs> May you rest in peace on the eve of darkness. Hey, it's just an election, folks. It'll be all right. Nobody's going to be hurt here. Um, joining us in studio is Assistant Professor for BYU Department of Political Science, Dr. Michael Barber. He uh, got his Ph.D. in politics from Princeton University and now sits here 18 months of talking about the election. And it's 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 time. It's time, uh, Michael. Thank you for being with us again. Uh, happy to be here. So um, talk about Dr. Not Dr. J- uh, Director James Comey. Boy, he he's in a tough spot. What I don't is envy. He doing? I do not envy him in any way. Uh, he's got a he's he's got a number of constituencies that that he has to appeal to, and so uh, first he's got to uh, he's got to make sure that both parties think that he's legitimate. Yeah, uh, because whoever becomes president is going to have to work with him. He has a fixed term. He's there for the. Uh, the duration of the next president's four years. Mm. And so if it's a Republican president, he's got to make sure that that Republican thinks that he's not in the bag for Clinton. And if it's a Clinton presidency, he's got to think they've he's got the to have Clinton think that he's not, uh, you know, in the bag for her. But in addition, he has a whole bunch of FBI employees oh. that he has to make sure that they respect him and that they and that uh, know stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so. And so he's working to try and please all three of those groups uh, at the same time. And all three of those groups want very different things. Yeah, yeah. And so he's he's in a position that I don't envy in any way. Because that was always the big point is that at any point if Comey was being too political, all of he, you know, a bunch of agents would turn in their resignations and they'd be done. But that right. could happen on on anything. I mean, these agents have, are the ones that did investigate the Clintons way back in the day. Sure. Some are that old and some have been in the, the latest investigations. And it doesn't even mean they know stuff that's like horrible, but they know enough that they're thinking, I, I can't have this be our president. And they know about Trump. They know stuff. Sure. So – well, and they're people too. They have preferences. Yeah, exactly. They have, they belong to political parties. Mm-hmm. They they are you know they're private individuals, and so that's uh, should you, you know, just that works have been quiet well. and not written the letter ten days ago? Then he wouldn't have to correct the letter yesterday. Well, I think once he once he opened that box in July, yeah. by holding a press conference about the emails initially. He kind of made it. Uh, he he kind of forced himself to then be public about further updates Mm -hmm. going forward. And so a lot of people would say, well, he should never have spoken up in July in the first place. It's that's not the way the FBI has traditionally handled things. They they do a lot of things internally and they they don't hold press conferences Mm -hmm. about the decisions that they come to. Um, And so a lot of people would say, well, you know, he should have just been quiet all along. Um, 
so once he did that, then it when caught, yeah. when new information is brought forward, uh, if he doesn't come out with it, then whoever it's not favorable to is going to be upset. Yeah. And so then he has to come out 10 days ago. But it's so weird because 10 days ago he says basically we may or may not have yeah. information. Right. So there's Leaves nothing really again. to confirm that it really just gives – a lot of uh, kind of a lot of speculation, mm-hmm. and um, even and it, if you wanted like just to be have integrity and show transparency, you're still dealing with the most political group of humans sure. on earth. So it's going to get spun and twisted. Absolutely, and, and it did. Um, what do you think about? I mean, as we go forward, it seems like a lot of people. There's just a lot of anger, a lot of even hatred, vitriol. I don't know what you want to call it. On both sides of this equation, how how does a country come back together after so much anger? So many people thinking that Hillary Clinton is absolutely corrupt. So many people thinking Donald Trump is beneath the stature of being president. Sure. That's a hard question. Mm. I don't know exactly. And that's something that makes us nervous as political scientists is how do we establish or reestablish some of the norms of civility that yeah. we, we have in the United States? It, you know, it starts by having elected officials that that don't do things like call for the imprisonment of the other candidate, lock her up before there's been due process, right. things like that. Uh, but it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, many members of the House of Representatives and senators are doing the same thing, and that's really dangerous language. Oh. Um, well, the first thing, and Donald even said something like, "I'll, I'll have somebody investigate." I mean. He's yeah. breaking just a lot of the norms of absolutely. Of, like, what, are, what are those the norms of? Of well, of, there's just norms of civility, yeah, civility. and of of, of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the other candidate wins, you admit that they won. You wish them success, and you you are open about the fact that you disagree with their policies, hmm. and that you're going to work to uh, to push your policies forward through the you know legitimate. Uh, the, the legitimate avenues of government, but but you accept the fact that you lost. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, we'll see what happens tomorrow. <laughs> this is, it's historic in that this is the first female, could be, first female elected president of the United States. And it seems like a lot of that is being lost. Yeah, that's true. Like, this is a major a big deal. event. Yeah, this is a huge deal. Is, I mean, is it being lost because Trump's so loud or is it because Hillary's so not, you know, motivational? What is it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of people who would say, I'm really excited for there to be a, a female president, but just not this one. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think I think that's the opinion of a lot of people. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. Exactly. Are the millennials over it? You're, you spend time teaching millennials. I mean, it, it seems like the millennials think we'll get a female president. I mean, it's not as big of a deal anymore. Yeah, it could be the case that in many other areas of um, in many other areas of the country, the kind of the glass ceiling has been either you know broken or has at least some pretty big cracks in it. Yeah, uh, you know, there's still. Oh, there's, there's still not – it's still not the case that uh, there's you know perfect gender equality mm-hmm. in government or in business or anything like that. But um, – and uh, you know, that's something to work towards. But it's certainly, I think, better than it was 30 or 40 years ago. As an expert, how do you see um, 
Hillary Clinton, because I keep hearing as a senator, she did a really good job of crossing, you know, crossing the aisle and being able to work with people. Do you sense she'll have a better ability to do that than Obama has? You know, I think that if you look at the kind of the record that she has established as a senator, as the secretary of state, uh, she's the type of person who likes to to really understand an issue forward and backward uh, inside and out. And so I think uh, as well as senator, there were a number of a number of opportunities where she did part uh, partner up with people from the Republican Party. So it may be the case that she's more willing to uh, to try and strike deals and uh, a bargain with with Republicans in Congress, how she'll be received is mm, uh, is yeah. an open question. I don't know if they'll uh, if they'll be willing to come come back with a, an offer, but uh, but it will be interesting to see. Well, and with uh, President Obama, they basically said that they were going to stop everything he did right in Congress. Um, do you think? Congress is learning anything now like that. I mean, they're at the lowest ratings they've ever had. Sure. Are they going to learn or is it just the divisiveness that's (laughs) continued? No, I'd expect more of the same. Ah. Uh, And I think that it's probably going to be the case. It's looking like the House is going to be held by Republicans. I would put about a, you know, 50 50 chance of Democrats taking the Senate, which means you're going to have a lot of uh, divided government, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting across the chambers and mm. with, and with the executive. So I would expect a lot of uh, – from day one, I would expect a lot of arguing. Oh, goody. What about turnout? Uh, is, do you sense – is turnout going to be high? Is it going to reach uh, you know, 2012's levels? Is it uh, 2008 levels? What level do you think this year's turnout will be? My guess would be that it's going to be a little lower – uh, and one of those reasons is that both parties are not especially excited about their nominee, yeah. and excitement tends to predict turnout, uh, especially among the Republican uh, Republican Party. I think there's a lot of Republicans that are are still unsure or unhappy with Trump as their nominee, and I think the way that they'll reconcile that is to say, "Well, I can't vote for Clinton. I don't want to vote for Trump. Uh, you know, I may just be really busy, and I may end up just staying home." Yeah. No. Totally. And. If you're not happy about anyone and you don't believe anything will change, then why turn out? Why? Tu- why? Yeah, go. Why exercise it? Why? What answer would you give as to why they should? Why should you get up and well, still go do it, even if you feel like sure. they don't know me? They don't care about me. I think it's a perfectly uh, it's a perfectly legitimate use of your right to vote to not vote. Uh, but you also should consider that there are a number of other. Uh, other people on the ballot. And so if you're not excited about the presidential race, it's perfectly fine to leave it blank if you don't want to choose either of those people or to write someone else's name in. Uh, But then to not also forget that there are senators up for election. All of the House of Representatives is up. There are people, you know, governor's races, state legislative races, local elections that are being held. So there's, you know, lots of other things to to consider on Tuesday when you turn out to vote. Why... Um, are we still talking about Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania? Um, aren't these normally wrapped up pretty tight for the Democrat? Sure. Yeah. Um, those are typically blue states that that are, are pretty strongly in the Democratic column. Uh, I think this time both parties are a little unsure of what their 
what their electorate is going to look like. I think Trump has kind of upended the the traditional party lines in some ways. And so I think Democrats are a little nervous that they might have some soft support in the upper Midwest in these states with lots of um, uh, white, un, um, non-college educated white voters. Mm. Th- that's the kind of core yeah. group that supports Trump. And in many cases, those are reliably Democratic votes. And so uh, I think Democrats might be nervous that there might be some soft support among that group and that Trump might be making inroads in that in that area. By the same token, you've also got, you know, you have Trump campaigning in Arizona and Utah. Yeah. These are places that are not what? typically Democratic. Right, exactly. uh, and for the same reasons, I think the Republican Party feels a little nervous that uh, <clears throat> in some ways their support could be soft in some of these Western yeah. states with uh, a high Latino population. Uh, he's not done any favors for the Republican Party in getting Latino voters. Uh. And so I think they're they're quite nervous in Arizona and Nevada uh, for what, you know, what the Latino vote could mean for them. What um, – as we wrap it up, what would you say – what should we be looking for tomorrow as, as the polls start closing? Um, I'm assuming how Florida goes makes a huge difference. Florida's a big deal. Uh, my guess would be I would I would look at actually I would look at North Carolina. Really, if Hillary Clinton wins North Carolina, my guess is that the election is over. Uh, if she wins North Carolina, she's likely to also be winning Nevada. She's probably going to be winning Florida. Uh, she's likely got Pennsylvania locked up, and if that's the case, there's really no path to it's victory over. for Trump. So as the clo- as the polls close on the East Coast, if she's winning, uh, if she wins North Carolina, and especially North Carolina and Florida. The race is effectively over boom, for Trump. Boom, boom. I mean, except it's he doesn't ever have to accept the results. Well, he may not accept it. I, I think the race will be over <laughs> everyone nonetheless. Else, everyone else will accept it and move on. Would you say um, – I, I guess what kind of hope would you give us like – so if Hillary Clinton runs it to the end or even Donald Trump – is the democracy um, malleable? Is it is it is it going to break apart and be destroyed after this election? <laughs> what hope do we have after, let's say, I, Wednesday? You know, I, I we've we've talked in this interview about the kind of eroding of norms in the country, but I still think that the American democracy is very strong. Uh, if you look back at our at the the things that our country has endured, our country survived a civil war. Yeah, uh, we're not anywhere near that, <laughs> and I don't think we're you know we're not even close to that. Right. And so you know whoever wins tomorrow, uh, there will be a lot of people that are happy. There will be a lot of people that are really sad. Uh, it might have it, it, and it will have real effects for the outcomes of policy going forward. But you know I think we'll still be here four years from now. Yeah. I think you're right on. Dr. Michael Barber, thank you so much. Appreciate your time being with us. Again, he's an assistant professor of BYU at the Department of Political Science. Folks, it's strong. We're strong. We can make it through this. It's not a civil war. Uh, We'll take a break. Be right back. Wrap up hour number one of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, again... Quit yapping about it. Quit fretting it. Get out and vote. And then once you've exercised your right to vote, then exercise your right to live in a democracy. That's our number one, my friends. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Matt Show. How are you doing? It's happening. <laughs> Who's that supposed to be? I'm so tired of talking about certain people. Is that bad? Certain people running for certain things at this certain time of year. He who shall not be named. He and she. And they. But it's almost over, folks. If you are struggling with electionitis and inflammation of your election electoral college votes, then you've only got one more day. We've brought you so many great... You know, ideas, tools, all you got to do, go look through our archives, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to BYURadio.org. If you don't know who to vote for, we've got about 10 interviews on politics that you got to go listen to. I think uh, you can still vote for the Mad Hatter, too. He's yeah, running under he the running? He's running under the Tea Party movement. Yeah. He yeah. is the Tea Party representative. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Uh-huh. He's kind of clueless, I've noticed. I thought some of the things that he said were pretty insightful. (laughs) Yeah, they were. Um, Today, by the way, we will be talking about the the, um, Samsung lawsuit with Apple, $400 million verdict against Samsung. It's been going on for almost a decade. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Yes. But it went to the Supreme Court on... A decision, but the decision was more about design yes. than – so like design copyright and trademarks versus actual technology trademark. Absolutely. Poor Samsung. Yes, now, part of it was like – it was things like the icon on the Samsung phone to make a phone call. Yeah. Looked like the icon right. on the Apple phone. The iPhone and, to make and a phone the setup call. of like three or four icons across, five deep or yes. whatever. The grid that, pattern. The grid the, pattern was copying. They had a gear wheel for the settings, which uh-huh. is similar on both phones. The sliding on-off switch on the screen. Yeah, the swipe to open, mm-hmm. which they've uh, iPhone has abandoned now. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, all those when they went to case billion dollars. I imagine millions upon millions spent right. billion dollars. And lawsuits and then millions awarded. I don't even know where it stands at the moment. And, but and, it was huge when it came down. And the Supreme Court had to decide, but they're deciding on a design lawsuit. Yeah. It's Are like, you stealing those designs from each other? Doesn't Apple have enough money? It's it's not even about the money. It's about the, it's it's about about the, the, it's about it's the principle. principle of the whole thing. They, they, put up, they put up a graphic in the courtroom where they had all the Samsung phones leading up to the first iPhone. And they looked wildly different, all different types. They're experimenting with form factors and everything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the iPhone comes out, and every Samsung phone is a brick with grid, uh-huh. just like the iPhone. They copied the design is yeah. what they were accusing them of. And the, the pictures of the phones just showed exactly what they it did. It should be flattering. That doesn't work when <laughs> yeah. you have patents Im- and money on it. Imitation you know? is the sincerest form of flattery. Right, exactly. See? But then it's gone back and forth depending on which co- – which, uh, which judges heard the case. That's why it made it to the Supreme Court. So Some... we'll be talking about this because this could be happening more and more in the future. 
all of a sudden design is about it's part of the key to marketing it's part of the key to why people buy certain things is the design can you start can you steal a design now does honda's designed car steal from toyota's design of their car this could get crazy. So we'll talk about that with a with an expert um, in law on the subject. And also today, of course, we will be celebrating the big day of Hug-A-Bear Day. Look for the bear necessities, the simple bear necessities. The history of stuffed animals goes back a long way. Some archaeological evidence suggests as far back as ancient Egypt. But the teddy bear, the iconic teddy bear, came out about in 1902. Story goes that President uh, Theodore Teddy Roosevelt was hunting, refused to shoot a baby bear that they came across, and since that day, the teddy bear has stood as a childhood toy that is given to almost every child, including you. Terry got a teddy bear. Snuggle. Snuggle teddy bear from his mother. What a good mom you have. It's great. My brother has a bear, and my son has a bear. His name is Bruce. Bruce. Bruce the bear. Is it now Caitlin? No, it's just Bruce. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, that's a different Bruce. That's Bruce Jenner. Um, did you have a teddy bear? I had a teddy bear. Cutest little brown teddy bear you've ever seen. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't keep the snuggle bear when I got it. Lost an eye. And then I figured out that once a bear loses his, his eye, you always want to poke your finger in that hole. Mm. That's when my mom took him away. She thought it was creating a weird precedent. Yeah, a little bit. That's when I wanted to be an ophthalmologist. Hmm. Um, let's. <laughs> What's back here? <laughs> let's, uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, we'll be talking about a lot of other topics coming up, including a, a, a person that got in trouble for playing football when he's overaged. He played Little League football, but he was an adult. Snuck in. Hmm. Yeah. But he's mad. He's mad about the whole thing. And so we, we'll, we will be talking with him as well. We'll hear from him. Scary. One of our great, uh, you know, one of our great uh, news reporters, Shik Shumway, will be talking with him. But first, let's get to another great news uh, reporter. This sounds weird. Newscaster. Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's going on? With Election Day on Tuesday, the polls are tightening. The Politico Morning Consult poll shows Clinton 45, Trump 42. According to CBS Battleground Tracker in Ohio, Trump is 46, Clinton 45. In Florida, Clinton and Trump are tied at 45. Washington Post ABC tracking poll has Clinton ahead 48 to 40. 43 over Trump nationally. The latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll shows Clinton with a 44 to 40 lead on Trump. Real clear politics average of national polls, Clinton 46, Trump 44. Most national polls show Hillary Clinton with the advantage over Donald Trump. In the battleground states, Trump is ahead by in Ohio by three and New Hampshire and North Carolina by one point. In Nevada, Trump has a two-point lead. Clinton is up by in Florida by one, Pennsylvania by two, Colorado by three, and Michigan favors Clinton by five points. FBI Director James Comey said in a letter to the House Intelligence Committee Sunday that after examination of all the relevant new emails from Hillary Clinton's private server uncovered in connection to the investigation of former Congressman Anthony Weiner's sexting scandal, the Bureau has uncovered no evidence leading to its alter in its July decision to recommend no criminal charges against Clinton. And finally, yes, we're going to move over to Australia for this story. Um, an Australian man shot an intruder. 
with a bow and arrow as he was trying to steal his car from his house. But the intruder got away and the man may face charges. A 68-year-old man who was home with his wife prevented the theft of his car, but not a large amount of cash in a purse. And so he shot the would-be robber in the buttocks. That really hurt. With a bow and arrow. lump there, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because uh, after the police have been investigating the robbery, um, Australia has very strict laws against assault, even if it's an intruder in your home. So this uh-huh. man actually might face charges, even though he was trying to defend himself. Wow. So poor guy. A bow and arrow. Was mm. it Nighthawk? Um, Wait, what's... What's the, was it Arrow? Hawkeye? Jeff, did you just say that? I thought that came out of Terry's mouth. No, I would have said uh, Hawkeye or Green Arrow, but he Hawkeye. said Nighthawk, which I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. I think it's a missile. No. Could be. I was going for Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. Hawkeye. Oh, from MASH? I didn't, I didn't no. know Hawkeye was 68 years old, though. Yeah. If, if, well, it's like old Hawkeye. Well, the Hawkeye on MASH probably was. Alan Alda's probably. That's yeah, true. Yeah, he's pretty old. He's yeah. pretty old. Yeah. What do you mean pretty old? Like, 68 is not pretty old. Like dusty old. You guys have no idea what old is. Do you, Matt? Yes. Yes. He's living old every day. I'm I'm getting closer every day. <laughs> Too old or have you achieved old? No, I'm not old yet. You're not old yet? Okay. But every time I try to stand up from the floor when I'm playing with my granddaughter, I'm feeling older. So you just said granddaughter. Yeah. So, mm, so you're a grandpa. Yeah, Grace, grandpa. I, I but, think you're old. But I was a grandpa at a very young age. Still means you're old. You've lived long enough to see your offspring with children. You're a monster. You guys are, you're, you're rude. We love you, Matt. We Thank love you. you. And no need to call people old. I mean, you know, you guys are, you guys are old. Take that. You guys are old. Good one. <laughs> Speaking of age, they say that uh, age is just a number, but a Rhode Island football league says otherwise. Our reporter, Shik Shumway, interviewed an overage player who was raising quite a stink after he got his team suspended for the remainder of the season. The founder of a Rhode Island youth football team says its season is ending early after the coach put a 40-year-old man into a game against 13- and 14-year-old players. Toby Henderson, the middle-aged man who carried the team to victory, says he's been doing this sort of thing for years. I don't see what the big problem is. You know, it's never been a problem until now. I mean, when I helped take the Hoboken Hobos to the state high school football championship, nobody complained. When I delivered the Peoria Peewees, the National Junior Varsity Championship trophy on a silver platter. Again, nobody batted an eye. And then Sunday I play for a few minutes in, you know, really a pickup game. And all of a sudden it's like I'm Nixon. Parents spotted Henderson suit up on the sideline and decided to inform Alexandra Diaz, founder of the Capital City Buccaneers, who, following the Buccaneers' victory, decided to make an example of the varsity team. I know they've got to make sure these games are clean and that they're fair, but if they really want to stop the corruption in JV and varsity football, they ought to quit hassling me and take a closer look at little Tommy Two-Shoes Terwilliga. Tommy, if you're listening, don't think I don't know what you hide in those stinky two-shoes of yours. Hey, and speaking of stinky, this whole thing stinks. You know, it's age discrimination is what it is. And the coaches are adults. How come nobody puts up a stink about that? Besides, they say these days that 40 is the new 13 anyway. 
The Providence team had been losing when the incident occurred. Everyone knows that when it's a close game, you call in downtown Toby T-Down. That's me. Henderson says he hopes the organization can live with themselves after the devastating decision that has stripped the team of the remainder of their season. If anything, I'm creating memories these kids will never forget. It's all about the memories. I've won 15 JV tournaments and a Baker's Dozen varsity tournaments. How many other Gen Xs can say that, huh? Reporting live from Providence, Rhode Island, I'm Shik Shumway. Thank you, Shik. Hmm. Uh, wow. Great coverage of, of an issue um, you don't see come up a lot. I mean, a lot of grown men wouldn't want to play ball with the youngers, the youngins again. You know? Well, it's a, if you do, it's a really good chance that you're just going to wipe the floor with all of them. Yeah. Well, well that's why I, you guys talking down about my age and stuff. I mean, there's guys still winning championships at my age in Little League and stuff. Well, in Little League, yeah. So it's hard. When I was in Little League, eighth grade, I had to play with the seventh grade team. So I had to play down a year. I weighed 220 pounds in eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. So I had to have a birth certificate in a file (laughs) so that the other coaches, when they challenged, they could show the birth certificate. Okay, this kid's supposed to be on this team. See, yeah. The the weight to run the ball, they had a, a weight limit. So if you were over the weight limit, you, could, you couldn't run the ball. They didn't want people getting hurt. Sure. That weight limit was about 95 pounds. You were weighing – I was 220. 220. Yeah. Could you – would they even let you touch the ball? Uh, no. I could hike it. You could it. hike it. You could land on it if it was a fumble. Yeah. But you had to make sure there wasn't a child underneath you. <laughs> but if they were actually doing a running play, they couldn't just hand the ball to me. They had to like yeah. fumble it, then I try to pick it up. But at that time, you know, stooping down to pick something up with a challenge. Mm-hmm. So. You were an X man. That's what they call you. Yeah. You were exceeding X'd. the weight. See, this guy wasn't. This guy. It sounds like uh, downtown Toby T. Is that was uh, downtown Toby T down T T down? Oh, touchdown! Yeah, downtown Toby touchdown mm. T down. He. He makes a great point, too, when he says, um, how come the coaches can be older? They're not playing the game. Right. But are they, aren't they? But they're, they're calling all the shots. They're doing all the thinking. They're on the sidelines. I mean, if you want Little League to be Little League, then there should be Little League coaches that are from the Little League. Well, no. That would be amazing. I mean, sure, parents would have to drive carpools and stuff. The, the age situation is a safety concern for the people on the field. They don't want an adult running through just smacking kids around. Well, but he might be smaller than the kids. Well, they need they need the adults to bring the juice boxes for after the game, too. Right. That's right. Who can buy juice boxes? Well, Only maybe adults. that needs to change, too. Maybe the kids need to start opening up their own bank accounts. Juice boxes for everyone. Can you imagine what sort of stuff, what sort of treats they would buy if they were given the budget? Hmm. Oh, boy. Just like... Their teeth would be rotting out of their Cheeto head. puffs and cotton candy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nothing's better after two hours of sweating than cotton candy. Hey, this is why you can't just turn it over to him. An Oklahoma student brings a dead squirrel to class and wanted to eat it. An eight-year-old student who attends Gatewood Elementary in Oklahoma City brought a dead squirrel to class thinking that it could be cooked for dinner. Hey, Mom. Ladie Hobson explained that the child's father will occasionally joke about making squirrel dumplings for dinner. But she never thought he would actually try to make uh, good on the offer. She posted a picture of the squirrel inside the boy's backpack that subsequently got more than 79,000 shares and 75,000 reactions on social media. Hobson said the boy must have picked up the dead squirrel on his way to school. 
She says she found out uh, when she got a phone call from the principal. His teacher found the squirrel and sent him to the office. The school principal thought the incident was hilarious. Squirrel! And then the boy quickly was sent to get tetanus shots. Not such a good idea, huh? What was the weirdest thing you ever brought to school? Um, probably a knife. Really? A pocket knife. You brought a knife to school? Yeah. But see, that was back in the day when we didn't care what you brought to school. You so could bring anything. Did you pull it out with a spork and try to cut into a Twinkie or something? And <laughs> Yeah. No, do you know, my son actually got suspended from school for bringing a gag pen, the pen that you... You know, you click to open, and when you click it, it like it shocks you. Ah, one of those. He was suspended for what? a day for shocking his friends. Oh, it was shocking. People have no sense of humor. No sense of humor. I mean, sure, sure, the kid had a defibrillator, but what can we do? What can we do? Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, my friends, uh, we'll be talking about lawsuits of the future and um, of the present. You've heard about the lawsuit between Samsung. And guess what? Samsung and Apple went to the Supreme Court. We'll be talking about it. Up next, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. On October 11th, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments over a $400 million verdict against Samsung for infringing several Apple iPhone design patents like the smartphone's ability to create links automatically to web pages, phone numbers, and the slide-to-unlock screen function. The key to this case is that the Supreme Court case is about design patents, not utility patents. The patents about how it looks, how it... uh, You know, how they organize the icons, as we were talking about earlier. But what is the difference between design versus utility? Well, uh, here on the line to join us um, to talk about this is Dr. Tim Holbrook, who is a professor of law at Emory University School of Law and one of the nation's leading patent law experts. He's, he's going to walk us through the subject and what problems it might be creating for future litigation. Dr. Tim Holbrook, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. What an interesting uh, subject. We, we hear a lot about the lawsuits between Samsung and Apple. I mean, those have been a big deal. And then on top of it, some of the utility issues of Samsung phones catching on fire and the impact that that has been having on their bottom line. Why does it – well, first of all, I guess, talk about the Supreme Court decision um, or what they, what they were supposed to talk about and rule on on October 11th. What is that all about? So what this is about is how much money should Apple get from Samsung. So it is, it is undisputed that Samsung's phones infringed Apple's design patents. Uh, and so what is now pending at the Supreme Court is whether the standard that the lower courts use is correct. The statute says that someone who infringes a design patent has to give over the extent of their total profit mm. on the article of manufacture. And so what the lower courts did said, well, Samsung infringed the way the iPhone looks, so Samsung has to pay the lost profits it made on all of those infringing phones. Mm. Which is, I mean, which is interesting because the phone isn't made up just because of its design. It's made up of all of its other, you know, utility patents that are behind it. Right. The way the phone looks doesn't impact the fact that you can send email from it or Mm -hmm. take a phone call on it or play games, right? And so 
it seems a little odd that Samsung would lose all the value of those sales simply because it infringes on the design patents covering the, the aesthetic appearance of the phone. Is this is this now where maybe the complexity of products are they're becoming so complex that maybe the laws, whether it's a design uh, patent or a functional utility pa- um, patent, it's no longer keeping up with the times. I think that's absolutely the case. That more and more you have very complex technologies in consumer devices. The rule of thumb for an iPhone is that there's probably about 200,000 patents that cover it. Wow. Uh, and so, right, and we're dealing with statutes that were drafted in a much earlier age when typically your patents corresponded to a single product for the most part. Mm. And that's no longer the case particularly for design patents, where it talks about forfeiting this profit for the article of manufacture. You know, for wallpaper, maybe that makes sense, you know, why you want the wallpapers and right. how it looks. But for something like a phone or a car, it, it begins to break down uh, in terms of common sense, in terms of adequately compensating the patent owner. Right. No. That's, now, I mean, the crazy thing to me is the Supreme Court is thinking about this. They how did it go that far? So the Supreme Court hasn't talked about design patents in over a century. And so what happened is basically the lower court, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which which is a a patent expert court, had concluded that the statute says what it says. It says you lose the profits on the article of manufacture. Um, And they felt sort of constrained by the statute and by what other cases had said. The Supreme Court isn't bound by any of those earlier decisions. They're, they're bound by what a statute says, but here what the fight is going to be, and it gets very legalistic, as lawyers will do, as to, well, what does article of manufacture in the statute actually mean? Does that mean the entire product? Or are you allowed to slice and dice something up like the phone and say, well, here the article of manufacture isn't the entire phone. Maybe it's just the screen. Hmm. Right? And so that's That'll be the lever they use to play with the idea of, of sort of trying to apportion the value of the phone in some way. Man, um, you titled the article that you wrote in the conversation. Um, do you do you buy a smartphone for its curves? Do you buy a car for its cup holders? I mean, are we really buying it for the design per se, or are we buying it for all of its abilities and technologies behind it? I think that's a hard question to answer in the modern era more and more because clearly you know, we want our, our, our smartphones to do things like check email and surf the web. Um, but the reality is the, the part of the attraction of the iPhone is its design, its simplicity, and its user-friendliness, right? Right. So, right I, in contrast, you know, like a, a cup holder in a car, right? You don't buy a car for the cup holder. But in the modern era with a lot of technologies – the design and utilitarian aspects are, in my mind, merging in the eyes of the consuming public. Think about, um, you know, Fitbits, right? It's actually almost a style uh, symbol to have one on your wrist, even though it has important functional dynamics. And so I think style and aesthetic is, is merging in some sense with utility in terms of what consumers want. Hmm. It makes it a tougher question. Does, do there need to be more laws made? Do, do we need to like adjust the laws, or is that what will happen through these decisions with the higher courts? I think that that's what will happen through the Supreme Court and other court decisions. I think the danger of trying to go in uh, for Congress to, to legislate in this area 
is Congress then has to guess what's going to happen in terms of innovation, in terms of design. And so here the courts, I think, are, are better equipped to be able to take the cases as they come up and try and do the line drawing in a way that is actually sensitive to the particular market, the particular product. For Congress to try and anticipate that, that that's very difficult for them to do. Mm. It's it's interesting to me because, like, in, pharmace- in pharmaceuticals, one company will go um, – it seems like they'll create a, a you know the the next super drug. Um, they'll eventually have all the rights, the patents, all of the all of the rights to that. But eventually, doesn't it? Uh, isn't aren't others allowed to to uh, to take their learnings and 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 take it to another level? I mean, isn't it eventually kind of open sharing of of resources? Eventually, after so much time. That's correct. Both design patents and utility patents um, eventually expire. So the owner of the patent is only given a finite period of time in which they can keep other people Hmm. from practicing their claim dimension, right? So so eventually this design patent will expire. Eventually pharmaceutical patents expire, which is why then generics can enter the market. Uh, And so, yes, and so in some ways, it cuts both ways, right? In some ways you think, well, this this is going to the public at some point, and the public is supposed to be the ultimate beneficiary of these patents. But because it is time-limited, during that period of time, the value of that innovation or design uh, is tied to that small period of time. Mm. We think the patent owners may want to you know, extract the value they can during that small window. And that's when they're making the hay. That's when they make right. the money. Exactly. And exactly. so that's, I guess, where a $400 uh, million dollar lawsuit comes out. Um, it's funny. I, I don't see um, I don't see Apple trying to follow or steal the patents of the burning uh, notebook seven. <laughs> no, that I don't didn't think want they that one. Did they? Up to, to, to product liability for that one? No, not so much. But it really is a lot of money, and, and plus just the flow that it throws out there, and the bad press, the bad media that come because of these decisions. Um, I guess going down the road, when you look at an Apple, for example, too, they are such a strong design firm. I mean, I guess this is them just exercising their right to something that people don't pay as much attention to. Absolutely the case. And the reality has been design patents had not been viewed as important, at least in terms of litigation in the past. Um, they've always they've been around for a really long time. But, you know, typically we, we thought about design patents in the area of, say, furniture design mm-hmm. or shoes. And a lot of these were rarely litigated. Maybe there were a lot of licensing deals that took place, so they just didn't come into court. Yeah. Uh, but with this decision, at least the lower court's decision, it really makes design patents look far more attractive to people as a way of protecting their products and then having a, a really powerful remedy of, of getting you know, the infringer's profits behind it. If the Supreme Court does what I think it's going to do and sort of change the rules so that you have to figure out, well, how much – of the infringing good uh, is re- is relevant to that patent, then it'll make them less attractive. But but clearly the Apple v. Samsung litigation has brought design patents to the fore in the legal consciousness and I think in the public consciousness in a way that just wasn't present mm. years ago. And do we? It doesn't seem like we see this in other industries though, like automobile manufacturing. Is it? I mean. It seems like they they are borrowing from each other's ideas. They're just creating their own patent. Is that what they're doing? 
Well, they, whether they patent them or not, or whether they license them or not, the, the one thing about design patents is that it, you can't. It can only be for the ornamental. It can't be for the functional. And so okay, that right. Line drawing can be tough when you're in, mm. say, a, a, the space of, of automobile design where. Clearly, there's ornamental aspects to it, but maybe the shape is dictated by aerodynamics. Right. Or, right. And so that line drawing becomes a little bit tougher. Hmm. Holy cow, what an interesting field you are in. Where do you see this going in the future with the case between Apple and Samsung? And where do you think it's going to go in general uh, about you know future of design patents? So I think this will definitely have to go back to the lower courts. I have no doubt in my mind that the Supreme Court will reject what happened below. They will say you don't get all of the lost profits or all of the profits from the phones. Um, So they will give some interpretation of what this term article of manufacture means. So it'll have to go back to the lower courts for the courts to figure out, well, what is the article of manufacture? And then the second step of now that we know what counts as the part of the phone, how much of the profits can we attribute to that slice? Mm. So that's going to have to go back. Uh, In terms of the impact on design patents, I mean, this will be a hugely important and influential decision. It will impact the attractiveness of design patents uh, to uh, companies in the future. It also could have some impact in the utility patent dynamic because these same concerns arise. The statute is different. But again, you know, even for the examples you gave, it's sort of like, you know, slide to unlock. Yeah. So I infringe that patent. Well, how much uh, value to the phone is because of that feature, right? And so these ideas of how you apportion the value of the invention relative to the product are everywhere. And so I think this decision could have a pretty powerful impact even in utility patent doctrine as well. No, I like that. That's great. Well, we appreciate it. This is an interesting insight, and uh, it takes it takes it takes somebody in the know to help us sort through that. Dr. Timothy Holbrook, thank you again, and uh, keep up your great work there at Emory University School of Law. Appreciate it. Boy, it's, uh, it's times they are a-changing, because I love my phone, and yet... There's many times when I look at the um, Samsung phones, I'm thinking, they're so much bigger and, wow, brighter. They're, they seem more, you know, like they're never going to ever break, more malleable. I don't know. In the end, I'm always looking at the design, too. I like it. I also like the functionality. Where do you go with this? future, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll do a little Coach's Corner. And uh, as we come back, we'll be talking about you and what what it takes to create a change in you. It's funny. These cell phone companies are constantly innovating to make it better for you. How about you? Are you still innovating? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we think about these companies like Apple and Samsung every day innovating. What did he say? 200,000 patents that go into a cell phone? Are you crazy? That is a lot of learning, a lot of development, And then I sit and I look at uh, just as a human being, how much are you doing every day to improve your your life, your process, your systems? Well, I bought a cell phone. Well, great. 
that's maybe not the only thing you need to be doing. There might be more to life than just buying your change. Maybe we need to get better and better at becoming somebody who innovates, who changes, who redesigns like these companies do. Boy, if we could just put a patent on it and find out the patent to success. And if you look at it, some people just are amazing at doing certain things. If you got somebody in your life that when it comes to discipline, they are the most disciplined human you've ever met. They just do what they're supposed to do. They don't care if it's fun or easy or whatever. They're going to do it. Uh, Do you have somebody in your life that – that will actually set a New Year's resolution and make it work. Or when they say they're going to get healthy, they actually do, and they stay healthy. Do you know these people? What is their deal? How can they do that when the rest of us seem to struggle so much? It's innovation. It's change. And I wanted to run through for you some principles that um, I use when I coach people to create lasting change in their lives. Because again, it's not easy. I don't want to pretend like it is. It's, it's, it's not always fun. And it's not always, um, how do you put it? It's not always the thing that you want to do. It's not the, the number one thing you might want to do today, but it is obviously important somewhere along the line. So here's some ideas. Number one thing that, um, I suggest when we're trying to create real change in our lives, the change I would suggest we're working on is change that is based in principle versus practice. So uh, I'm about to undertake a a new health regimen, and I'm not sure if I'm interested and if I like the idea, but apparently it's happening. Now – I've talked to a bunch of people about it. I've studied everything about the nutrition side of this uh, of diet approach I'm going to be doing. I've studied everything on the physical side. In fact, uh, I almost felt like I worked out yesterday because I watched a workout video. I actually didn't work out, but I watched one. So it's almost like working out, right? In the end, though, I found that um, I I know the principles. The principles are fairly basic. There's a million ways to do it, but um, I've got I've to moderate my intake, right, maximize my exercise, and if I want and, – and grow my muscle groups. That's pretty much the rule. Or I can just go do someone's diet. Now, I, I differentiate a principle from a practice. The principle of moderation is different than the practice of a diet. Pick one. The principle is going to, I believe, over time, create the good results. The practice is just one way of doing that. But we, we have to be super uh, attentive to the principles of our lives. So um, I like to instead teach the principle that governs what I'm trying to do. So that I can understand the principle because I can implement a principle 50 different ways. I can take the principle of moderation and implement it through 50 different methods of diets, right? There's hundreds of diets, but there's only one principle of moderation. And I like to understand the principle behind it. I also like to understand the fact that there's a choice involved here. And if I'm going to choose to do something, I suggest – Um, We try to create more of a balanced, healthy approach to life. So one of the things I've created um, 
in my own uh, program is I create this program called Life Changer, My Life Changer, which is based in principles. And uh, for example, I believe I need to be healthy physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually, financially, and intellectually. And I learned this because as a relationship coach, I might have the social down, but the physical, I'm out of shape. The intellectual, I've quit studying if I, when I was no longer going to school. So how do I keep my intellectual up instead of just doing my one thing I'm really good at, maybe the social or the emotional? How do I still manage my finances? How come financial planners are divorcing? How come, you know, divorce attorneys are struggling emotionally with depression and anxiety? Because we're whole beings, and whole beings demand that if we're going to work and try to create health in our lives, then we really need to make sure we're working on all of those areas at a time. We also could focus on and spend more time on what works versus what doesn't work, meaning let's go start to find what works for me as um, a way of living the principle of moderation. I have uh, been tutored on a diet that was coming from my family members, and I went and studied the diet. I have family members, relatives that are the most disciplined humans you've ever met. I'm not so disciplined. So the idea that I can only eat certain things so many times a day, harder. It's harder for me. So I have to find a way that works for me to live that lesson, that principle. And I can find it where in my past I can find it today, and I could think about what it would look like in the future if I were doing it. For example, I know I can pretty much stick to a diet or a plan if I can just carry the food with me everywhere I go. If I know that I was going to have the meal that I'm supposed to eat at 9 o'clock in the morning handed to me at 8.50, I'm pretty sure I would eat that meal at 9 o'clock. If I have to go find the meal— At 11, because I'm starving, we're going to get into trouble. It will probably involve french fries and two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, stuff like that. I need uh, to find out how it works for me, and I can find out how it works for me by going to my past. Where did I used to manage my moderation, that principle, better? Where could I handle it better? I might notice that my new schedule today, my life today, and my schedule today is impacting me, my ability to live that principle. Where do I live it today? Or yesterday, for example. How did I live principle of moderation yesterday when I was home and around the house all day? Could grab any food I wanted. There's principles there. So we stick to the principle. We recognize the fact that this is a choice. I try to create a whole approach that gets to my physical, social, emotional, spiritual, financial, intellectual areas of my life. I've got to have goals that kind of reach all of these areas, and I need to learn from what worked in the past, what works today, and what would work in the future, and tie those to the principles. Then I just need to ask one question and do it consistently. What's the most important thing I can do today to live moderation and come up with a new idea? And try to live that today. What's the most important thing I could do today to be more financially healthy and safe and sound? What's the most important thing I could do today emotionally to be stronger? Meditate. There's always an answer. And the funny thing is, and this is the final principle, you know what you need to do. It's in your head. 
Humans know how to improve themselves. You don't need coaches. You already know inside of you one thing you need to do financially to be better. You already know what you need to do socially and emotionally to have a better life today. You already know these things. We just have to put it in front of us and consistently be touching on it. Anyway, little coach's corner for you. It's just an idea. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about uh, a goodbye letter from Leanna Tan, one of our uh, producers. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is a big week for our country. Today is an unrecognized national holiday, Election Day Eve. Tomorrow's results could mean some big changes for the future of America. And today our producer, Leanna Tan, will share her thoughts on these last few hours leading up to Election Day. Well, you all know what day tomorrow is. Election Day. Seems like it would be an exciting time for America. But I heard a lot of people are referring to it as doomsday or america's season finale or the end of the world is it really that bad could this really be my last day on earth i have to say goodbye to those i love and contemplate my life i suggest you all do the same bye-bye mr fluffy i began to think of my last words and decided it was best that i wrote a goodbye letter to all of you just in case So, in case the world does end tomorrow, and this is my last time you hear from me, I came up with five things I am really going to miss about this life. Finding letters for me in the mailbox. It's always so disappointing to clean out the mailbox, only to find that... Once again, everyone in your house but you received the letter. I mean, it's kind of sad once you enter that age where all you can really expect are bank statements and credit card ads. Pre-approved for a $300 credit limit. Ka-ching! There's still that split second of euphoria when you see your name under the pile of flyers and grocery coupons. Eating corn on the cob. I will remember you. Oh, I'm really going to miss this. smell of steamy corn and the feeling of juice running down my elbows. Just that couple of minutes in life where everything in the world fades into the distance and I don't care what anyone thinks or what I look like because I just can't do anything about it. Hey! Drawing faces in a foggy window. To you. <sighs> One of my favorite pastimes. My mom always got mad because she said the fingerprints would come back when it got foggy again. But I loved writing creepy notes to my siblings when I got out of the shower, so when they took a shower after me and it fogged up again, they'd be greeted with a streaky note saying, I see you in the mirror. Man, those screams of terror were priceless. Midnight takeout and late talks. This is just one of those treasures of this life. You know you can discover all your friends' superhuman tricks after a certain point during the night? Somehow... It seems like everything gets 10 times funnier after 2 a.m. So I'm reading this book on the history of glue, and I just can't seem to put it down. 
Get it? <laughs> you just can't beat the feeling of packing on the calories mixed with hysteric laughter and a psychoanalysis from your very underqualified and uncertified therapist best friend at the crack of dawn. Popping bubble wrap. One of life's simple pleasures. There's just something therapeutic about squeezing one of those little air bubbles till you hear it snap. I used to lay all our packing bubble wrap on the living room floor with my siblings and dance all over it and pretend I was tap dancing. This one will be hard to let go of. Man, I don't want to die. There are too many good things of this life I'm going to miss. I'm too young for this. Well, if the world does end tomorrow, just know I have tried to give you all the best advice I could. Also, I stole a quarter from my teacher in first grade. There, I said it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go call my mother and tell her I love her. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's maybe my last little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, helping you have a smarter life, giving you the information you need, the experts, the insight you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. No exception. We will be talking about the benefits of not forgiving. There's probably a reason you choose not to forgive people, and it must serve you, right? There's something going on. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll have peace of mind, happiness, but something is happening when you just can't forgive somebody. You can't get over it. (sighs) We'll be talking with Kim Giles on that from Clarity Point Coaching. Also um, today, just celebrating Hug-A-Bear Day. Does someone need a hug? Yeah, I do, but uh, not from you. Can I just say I'm sorry? Too late. I'm not forgiving you. Too late. You didn't even want to know why? No, I don't even want to know why. All right. I know why. That was a little, we just acted that out. <laughs> and end scene. Um, it's hard to apologize. Some some can apologize real easily. Some don't apologize very easily. And then the key is, can you forgive once they've apologized? Because what if they do it again? Do you think if Donald were to apologize to Hillary, do you think she would forgive him? Oh, sure. This will all be over once she wins. So you're saying this is all just a big act. Yeah. They're not really mad at each other. Hmm. I would even say, I'd go as far as to say, half of what they say they believe in, they actually don't believe in. It's part of the act. It'll change. Nothing more consistent than change. Change is uh, is always going to throw the curveball. 
That's how it works. So we will talk with uh, Kimberly Giles in just a few minutes, the benefits of not forgiving. Also, um, we'll be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out a little review about the BYU game against Cincinnati. They done won it. (laughs) Wasn't even much of a game either. And it's so sad for the other team. They scored three points in the first quarter, and they just... Didn't do anything else after that. And it was that was it. Because they were really, they had a lot of great plays and players just stringing them together. Plus, I think it shows you the good defense BYU has when they get down into the red zone. Mm-hmm. Or the blue zone, I think we call it. So we'll get to that as well. Plus, a hero story at the end of the hour and um, a couple of other stories that'll just blow your mind. Should you be burning weeds? Well, not if it's going to torch a house in a house fire. Don't burn your weeds if it's going to burn down your house. Those kinds of weeds, I see. Yeah, it's a different kind of weed. Um, We'll get to all that fun. But first, to the headlines with Sadie uh, Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? A Kenyan woman won her third straight title at New York City Marathon Sunday, finishing with a time of 2 hours, 24 minutes, and 26 seconds. She broke away from the rest of the elite women runners halfway through the race, an unusual move most runners would attempt after their 20-mile mark, and ran the final 13 miles alone. The men's race was won by a young man named from uh, Eritrea in West Africa, who at 20 is the youngest NYC marathon champion of all time. His time was a speedy 2 hours, 7 minutes, and 51 seconds. The Democratic National Committee helped CNN anchors Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper prepare for interviews with Donald Trump, the latest WikiLeaks email dumped has revealed. Among a batch of 8,263 emails released on Sunday night, one shows that the staff working for the network host asked DNC staffers what questions they should put to the Republican candidate. They also asked for advice when it came to an appearance from the former candidate, Ted Cruz. The latest email released by WikiLeaks comes two days before the presidential election. Janet Reno, former U.S. Attorney General under President Bill Clinton, died Monday morning following a long battle with Parkinson's disease, her sister said. She was 78 years old. Reno, the nation's first ever female Attorney General, served in the Clinton White House from 1993 to 2001. And finally... Yes? Um, this is a story to welcome in the incoming snow I'm sure we are bound to have in days soon to come. Um, A huge collection of giant snowballs, made by nature of course, have suddenly appeared on the Arctic coast of Siberia. The balls are described as white cannonballs by one newspaper and were discovered on a beach around the remote village of Nida at the mouth of the world's seventh longest river. They range in different sizes from size of a tennis ball to basketballs and they make the perfect snowman's head. The hmm. Russian Arctic and Antarctic Research Institute spokesman said the snowballs form in waves under certain climatic conditions. A combination of the action of the wind, the outlines of the coastline, and the temperature may lead to formation of such balls. And a similar phenomenon was reported to happen at Lake Michigan two years ago. Hmm. So these are massive snowballs. Yeah, I remember that. They're, Ice balls. They're huge. Big rolling. Bigger cause... than Terry's head. What? That was rude. You're a monster. <laughs> wow. Very are, large. Very just, large snowballs. Just rude, just rude. But not as but not as cute. But not as cute. No. Mm. no. Not as warm. That no. didn't that didn't feel as genuine as Matt was trying to make it. <clears throat> Pardon? My feelings are hurt, so let's just move on. Okay. 
beyond repair. Let's make a rule. No more rules. No more comments about heads. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, my wife is always, always commenting on how big my head is. There's nothing wrong with having a big head. It just means you have a big brain. That's what I tell that, people. That, it's really not, not the actually, case. Not but... necessarily the case. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, not, I mean, Terry's case is totally the case. I was just trying to call you smart, but if you yeah. don't want to accept and, the compliment, I mean, I understand. Case? Yeah. Let's just change the subject. Oh. Um, hmm. Thank you, Sadie. Well done. We have got so much. I hope you'll forgive hmm. Sadie for that comment. We'll get there. It's a long road, but... Uh, Kim, will, Kim will walk we'll us through how you can forgive her. Does someone need a hug? No. You sure? Yeah, that would be the opposite direction of forgiveness. Do you need a bear? We could have a hug a bear day. No, bear is fine. Okay. We don't need to bring him into it. <clears throat> Just don't want you sad. It's all right. I'll, I'll move on. My feelings have been harmed. I will uh, recover. Okay. Okay. Um, let's do – did you see the Saturday Night Live episodes about Mr. And, uh, Trump and Hillary Clinton? I did. What would you think? It took an incredibly interesting turn. It was kind of a normal dig, 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 dig. Then they turned into kind of a moment of kumbaya. They said we can't do this anymore, just saying these horrible lines to each other. Let's, let's, let's hold hands. Let's, actually, it was a moment of trying to bring the country together. Yeah. Except it was like Alec Baldwin, which I don't know if that's really in his wheelhouse to do that. But <laughs> then they run out through Times Square. They start hugging Dancing people. with everyone, hugging. Yeah. Still showing some disdain when they had to hug well, people. Well, there, there were some T-shirts that yeah. have certain comments that are really bad that they weren't really happy But it had with. a big kind of grand finale moment of yeah. we can come together. Let's there was, there was like this. a ring around the rosy thing happening. So, yeah. I mean, they were really trying around to the Rosie show O'Donnell the unification. Thing. Yeah, it was the cleanest of all those mock debates, too. Yeah, well, sort of. There were so many parts I could not. Yeah. But on SNL, they still did take some digs. Um, one dig was uh, Donald Trump doesn't use email. Okay, well, let's get to what's obviously the big story of the week. Please pay his taxes. Please pay his taxes. Please pay his taxes. Secretary Clinton's emails. Okay. FBI Director Jim Comey announced that they're looking into more emails that were discovered on Anthony Weiner's laptop. That's right. I called it, and these emails are very bad for you, Hillary. That's why I never, ever use email. It's too risky. Instead, I use a very private, very secure site where one can. Write whatever they want to, and no one will read it. It's called Twitter. Mr. Trump, everyone can see your tweets. Really? And I'm still in this thing? America, you must really hate this lady. <laughs> and they do. So they use, they, he uses Twitter instead of email. Yeah. But that makes it so all of his documents are out in, open, out in the open. Well, he thought they were private. But yeah. he's, he's not trying to hide them. No. Yeah. And, and now the reports are coming out today that his campaign has actually taken his access to Twitter away. That's why his Twitter feed has turned into kind of a announcing rallies and here's some you know photos and videos and some, some campaign graphics rather than Trump actually tweeting. Right. They've taken that away so he can uh, stay on message. Yeah. It's good Trump. It's actually worked really well. Yeah. I mean comparatively. If only they could have done that – Seven, a year ago, but, know, yeah. but the question is: if he's <laughs> seventeen a, if, months ago, if he's elected, or is that the type of Donald Trump we're going to get? The can you imagine? Tw- no, no Twitter access, Donald Trump. But can you imagine having your president be one tweet away from just saying whatever he wants to say anytime? Right. 
Does Obama tweet? Yeah. He does. Well, he tweets well, with all, a social media or, or team. Yeah. people that, tweeting for him. Yeah. No, well, he, when he, he signs the – he says he signs the tweets that he puts out. He puts OB. Right. Or, so maybe you know. if Donald's in the White House, we can have the Donald Trump tweets, and then he, if he wants to really be heard, he can have the real Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, he has that. Oh, that's what it is already. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Goes to show you how many so of his tweets have I read. The real Donald Trump and POTUS. The real POTUS uh, Trump. There you go. He, somebody, by the way, needs to tell him what POTUS stands for, too. Yes. Just in case. I mean, he'll want to know that. Just keep Isn't it a flower? Some no, kind? I think that's a flotus. Oh. oh, I think that's a lotus. Or I think that's a modus operandi. Mm. Mm. No. Let's not let Donald in on the secret about POTUS. <laughs> or flotus. We've got to stop POTUS. <laughs> They're coming into our Quit country. Quit calling me POTUS. They're taking our jobs. <laughs> um, a man burning weeds. Weeds, plural. Uh, with a torch starts a house fire in Tucson. Authorities say a man using a blowtorch to burn weeds started a fire spread up the wall and into the attic of his home. Fire Captain Barrett Baker says the man discovered the fire when he smelled smoke about an hour after he used the torch last week. Baker says the flames were in the attic and they were visible from the roof uh, and they were hard to put water on the fire because of that. Meanwhile, another crew on the ground sprayed the water at the fire through a vent you got to be careful handling your weeds my wife keeps wanting us to go out and weed but i was like let's just burn them Mm. and then i saw this article i'm thinking maybe not let's call the fire department over have a barbecue then burn them (laughs) then go whoops oops they won't let you they won't let you get in trouble a north carolina woman attempted to show her husband that the lottery is a waste of money Mm. And the whole thing backfired on her. Glenda Blackwell, 57, bought a $10 Carolina Millions scratch-off ticket on Saturday after her husband asked her to buy two Powerball tickets. According to WLOS, Blackwell said she got the Carolina Millions to teach him a lesson about wasting money on lottery. I was going to be ugly and buy a scratch-off to show him that he didn't hit it, Blackwell said. Sometimes I get aggravated with him, so I tell him, you're just wasting your money. Instead of losing $10, Blackwell hit the jackpot, winning $1 million. $1 million. Man, that's a good lesson. So the lottery doesn't work is what she was trying to. Yeah, yeah. but it just backfired right in her face. Take that. Hmm. In the end, she never taught her husband a lesson, but it's a payoff. She would, uh, she'd, you know, take every time. I had to eat my words, but they were worth eating, she said. So I was very happy. So she now has $400,000. Yeah. Nice. And she can now take her kids. Uh, she can put the money into her granddaughter's college education fund. Or Which they, will probably cost $400,000. Or right. they can go on two Disney cruises. <laughs> yes. Are, are, are Disney cruises that expensive? They're approaching that. Yeah. $2 million. That seems a little elevated. Couple breaks the world record for the longest road trip in single one single country. Yeah, you should see this map. Unbelievable! All it took was twenty nine thousand five hundred and fifteen miles. Oh, I can't. I, I have a hard time staying in the car for over forty minutes. One country, one hundred and three days, thirty nine states, 
The American couple Greg Kaeya and Heather Thompson have broken the world record for the longest road trip in one country. They easily surpassed the previous records of 22,000 miles set in India in April. Kaeya and Thompson started their trip in Arizona and have since traveled to 22 national parks, stopping in some of their favorites, including Yellowstone, Zions National Park, and Crater Lake National Park. They also found unexpected tourist attractions, ranging from outdoor animal safaris in South Dakota to a ghost town in Idaho. The world's biggest ball of yarn. (laughs) Yeah. To achieve their goal of driving through the 48 contiguous states, that's every American state except Hawaii and Alaska, the duo set a series of rules. No round trips, no backpacking more than 10% of the total mileage, and the majority of the journey, the couple sleeps in their 2008 Subaru Outback. Apparently looking for a Subaru deal. Thank you, Subaru. (laughs) They told Travel and Leisure that each night they prepare their mattress and catch up on their favorite Netflix shows. Also (laughs) sponsored by Netflix. There you go. Subaru, Outback, and Netflix. And now the Matt Townsend Show because we just promoted it. They must have quite an impressive data package. Yeah, apparently they broke up now. 29,000 miles together. That could kill a marriage. A lot of time together. We ought to offer them some free relationship coaching. Right. You could fix that, Matt. I could fix that, Matt. Uh, Netflix. I think Netflix fixes it for a lot of people. Really? I mean, if my wife and I could just watch Netflix together every night, happy. Stranger Things. That's a good show. The Mm. Crown. Never seen it. Just started. Never seen it. I've seen. I've been watching a lot of The Flash lately. Good show. I never thought I'd get that into a flasher. Is that what he's called? No. The flasher? No, he's a speedster. The speedster. Yeah. The flash. So he doesn't flash. Well, he does. People. Just when he runs so fast, there's a flash of light. There's some electrical <laughs> energy that sounds like that residual as he's tapping into the speed force and what. What? I can't even mention the, the basic element of what he's yeah, using to I mean yeah. It's a trap. I just said I just said the flash. You don't need to nerdify it. You don't need to like you don't need to I'm sorry. You just let it go. I'm sorry. I mean I know you're about to get into the flex. Have you got to the point where he's like jumping between different uh the what do they call the meta universe where he's jumping from yes. reality to reality? He just yeah. he just barely learned how to do that. It's confusing at times. Yeah, you're not sure totally which confused. world he's in, but mm-hmm. you get it after a while. Yeah, alert nerd. Mm. Yep, he's on Earth two. Earth. And he goes to Earth one. How many Earths do we have? There's I'll, you know thousands. Nerd! Okay, I've got four comic books where they've destroyed the multiverse. Pardon. Because uh, for whatever reason in the comic, but, you know, the editors are like, there's just too many stories going on. So they just wipe so, the board clean and start it over. They did it four times. I have all four the of them. U- the multiverse is the di- is different than the universe. Yeah. We're, there's a universe would be one. Yeah. The multiverse, is the multiverse is there's multi-universes. Yeah. Nerd alert! Yeah, I always thought a multiverse was a, a hymn that had like Like, like there'd be another verses. universe where you're a mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Where you do more, you have more manly pursuits. Pardon? That sound it means that that is the second time I've played all of our nerd nice. sound bites in one day. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's an achievement. 
It's actually just a conversation with Terry. We'll take a break. When we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us from Clarity Point Coaching, walking us through the benefits of not forgiving. Hmm? Sounds like you should forgive. We'll ask her what she means. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. Some people just have a hard time either saying I'm sorry, but also forgiving the person that said they're sorry. Joining us to talk about it is Kim Giles, president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, popular life coach, author, speaker, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America. And today she's talking about the benefits of not forgiving. We... We must derive some benefit from not forgiving people because a lot of us have a hard time doing it. Oh, I think all of us have a hard time doing it, don't you think? Totally. I mean, I really believe that forgiving is one of the key lessons we're on the planet to learn. Forgiving ourselves, Mm. forgiving others, forgiving life and God, you know, that things didn't go the way we – I just think forgiveness is a key piece and it's not easy. No. And it must – we we it, it maybe it could be easier, but maybe we have something that maybe it's the fear you always talk about. There's something going on that that we think no no I can't forgive because he'll just do it again. Right. He'll do it again. He'll hurt me again. Well, that's one of what we think the benefits are from not forgiving people. Yeah. Because the reason we're struggling with it is that there are benefits to staying mad. Yes. And that's one of them is we feel like we have to stay mad in order to protect ourselves. Right. right? Being mad makes it safer for you. You're less likely to be hurt. Hurt by that person again. When you're mad. But that just kind of shows me we don't truly – understand forgiveness the right way the way we're looking at it we think it means pardoning completely right. you know that that this thing they did isn't wrong if i forgive them yeah and that's we're gonna we're gonna talk today about what forgiveness really is pardoning the wrong is not what we're talking about no. what they did is wrong yeah we're gonna keep that stand that it's wrong they, they say sometimes you forgive and forget so you don't want to forgive because you don't want to forget what happened but i do want to forget but if i forget it then they will hurt me again and i won't learn the lesson okay Mm. so that's one benefit and and i want everybody listening we've all got someone that we're struggling right to not be mad at right right so really think about this does holding on to the the offense and the casting of this person as the bad one because that's really what we we've done we've decided they're the bad one we're the good one does it give you this sense of righteousness that you're the good guy Mm. and the more you keep that stand that they're the bad guy the better your self-esteem feels because often i think that's one of the big benefits to staying here because it keeps us as the righteous one oh yes i'm the good guy yeah um now a big question i want you to ask yourself is it earning you any sympathy, love, attention, or validation from people when you tell your story about how awful this person was to you and they all take your side? Are you getting this just amount of validation and and love Mm. from your victim story 
about this other person. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that that goes on with all of us. Okay, another one, does being this sad, poor, hurt, angry victim excuse some level of bad behavior on your part mm-hmm. because you're just so wounded and so broken by this person that they, you can't expect me to behave better than this. Yeah, this is this, you know, and I, I wouldn't even be this way if, if it wasn't they for them. hadn't done that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, we've so both worked true. with people like that oh, who get hard. stuck there. And they, so they'd rather have the story than the healthy. And and rather they'd rather hold on to that story than be happy. Yeah, right. Right, because you can't be happy there. But you're you really not, and can't. you're not happy. Yeah, you're not happy with the story. But they 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 use the story. They've got the story. If they got rid of the story, they'd have to kind of look at themselves. So we don't want to do that. Right. We've talked a lot before when I've been on your show about the fear that I'm not good enough mm-hmm. that haunts all of us. It's one of our core fears we all have. Yeah. We're afraid we're not good enough. And whenever we can focus on the bad in other people and keep casting that blame that they're the bad guy, it it saves us from having to look at our own Mm. bad. So we may subconsciously be really choosing to not forgive because these benefits are so great. (laughs) And, and, And it keeps you stuck. Absolutely. Oh, But see, they really are messed up, though. The people what, that the, hurt us, yeah. Oh, so I'm yeah. I'm really trying to help them <laughs> by keep trying to get them to see yeah. how bad they are. So I had this visual the other day, um, and I'm going to start using this with my clients, where I'm going to draw a jail on a piece of paper, and I'm going to have these cells, and I want you to think of who are the people in your life that deserve to be in that cell, and let's put them in there, you know. But if you want to stay in this place of condemnation and judging and and condemning these people, Mm -hmm. then you have to stay in the jail, too, as the warden. Yeah. And the the reality is none of you can leave. As long as you insist on casting them as the Uh, bad guy and keeping them in jail, you have to stay in jail with them. Yeah. Guarding the jail. So – Really, you're you're condemning yourself to the same exact misery that you're condemning them. So true, and even and especially because when somebody has hurt you like that, many times you want to be away from them. But if you keep them in the jail, you're with oh, them. You're living with them forever. all day, every day. They're in your head. Yeah, every time you think about this, you are in the jail with them. Oh, that's a great <laughs> metaphor. So. We've got to be honest with ourselves and yeah. let go of the story that we've created about this person and what they did to you and how they're bad and you're good. We got to get rid of that whole story if you ever want to heal mm. and and get your own life and happiness and healthy relationships back. Don't you think it's then they come back with the argument, but well, so this isn't normal. I mean, my friends say that I should feel angry. He was a jerk. He hurt me. So it's almost like everybody normalizes this lack of forgiving and all the storytelling because it's normal. Well, yeah, because everybody's coming from ego and fear and wanting to feel that way. But normal doesn't bring happiness. And one of the disconnects, Matt, I think, is we think there's two states we can be in. And one is overly selfless Mm. where I I let people walk on me and I'm a doormat and I let them offend me and – we think we're really nice and loving in that space, but really it's kind of weak and scared, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it is important that we speak up, that we notice when we're being treated wrong and speak our truth. But we believe the only other option is this place of mean 
and judgmental and I'm going to condemn them right. and I'm going to stay in an unforgiving, horrible energy where I'm protecting myself all the time. And we think those are the only two yeah, options. two choices. Right? Nice Dormant and be manipulated, mean. mean and be create justice. Yeah. So the That's, good news is yeah, what is the there's news? another option. <laughs> Finally. What there What is. is the option? And then we'll come back and explain it. Okay. Well, well, we call it a place of trust, love, and forgiveness. And I'll explain what it looks like. But it's a strong place where you do protect yourself, but you don't go into judgment and condemnation over other people. And you can really have this space where you're both strong and loving and forgiving at the same time. Mm. Okay, let's learn how to do it. We'll take a break. More with Kim Giles when we come back. Again, go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. You can pick up uh, tons of information there, plus all of her latest articles. She's giving it all away, folks. It says It's like a yard sale. So much content there. Stick with us. More on forgiveness when we come back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio with us, Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. She joins us to uh, talk about forgiveness, and uh, there are certain benefits to it, which is why we probably have a hard time forgiving people. But we also have to do something different, which is coming from a place of trust, love, and forgiveness. So you're saying we don't have to be – we don't have to be a doormat if we forgive – Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be a tyrant if we don't. There's something else you can do that probably is more aligned to what you want to be anyway. Yeah. So the biggest thing that I can give the listeners today to help them forgive is we've got to see it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. So just to make it really simple, I want you to imagine that there's just two mindsets that you can choose in how you're going to see people in life. And so the first one I call a judgment condemnation. Nation mindset. And in this place, you view life as a test and human value as changeable. And and you basically feel that you everybody has to earn their value and we earn it through our appearance, performance, property, everything we do. And if you if you see life this way as a test where value has to be earned, you will always see some people as better Mm. than other people. And to be honest, this is the mindset the world has adopted, right? Right, right. And and all the problems on the planet can be traced back to this idea that we think certain people are better than other people based on political party, right? Religion, race, whatever it is, we see each other. We have this judgment of who's better and who's worse. And and that mindset is really the reason that you're having trouble forgiving because this mindset gives power to the idea that people – can be not good enough, yeah. right? That, that they can fail and be of no value. And if you're going to give power to that idea in your life that some people are better than other people, it's going to come back to you. And you will always be afraid that you're not good enough too. Hmm. And it just, it, you, you can't judge others but think that your value is infinite, right? right. It's either... All or nothing. Yeah, that's right. One or so the other. So if you're going to give power to the idea that some people can be bad, you're going to always feel bad about yourself. Mm. All right? 
Your other option is to choose a trust and forgiveness mindset. Now, on this one, I believe life is a classroom, not a test. And because it's a classroom, we're here to learn and grow and become a better version of ourselves. But our mistakes don't take away from our value as a human being. Mistakes teach us lessons. But I believe every human being on the planet has the same intrinsic, absolute, infinite worth. Yeah. And that the lessons you're signing up for, you may be signing up for some interesting consequences that are part of that that class you signed up for. But – They don't affect your value and that all of us have the same value. So I can't cast anyone as less than me or the bad guy. I have to remember they might be in a different class than I am, but we have the same value. And if I give power to that in the world, I have to forgive. I have to let them all be innocent, struggling, scared, stupid students doing the best they can with what they know at the time and let them grow and learn on their pace, but let them out of prison because I don't want to be in prison either. Right. I want my value to be off the table so I can grow and learn without always being afraid that I'm not going to be good enough. And, and basically, Matt, it's so simple. You have to choose which camp you're going to live yeah, in. Yeah. Because you can be in condemnation and, and you can judge others and temporarily that'll quiet your fear a little bit. But you'll but turn it on yourself. You'll turn eventually. it on yourself. Amazing. It's, it's like that old analogy that if you reach your hand in the fire to grab a hot coal to throw it at someone, you're going to be burned way yeah, right, right, more right. holding that in your hand. And, and we've just – we have to either put water on everything and let us all be free mm. to learn and grow and let go of that condemnation or we're going to be miserable with them. Yeah. No, it's isn't that that is kind of the crux of if we can get the thought right, then it seems like forgiveness will flow. Absolutely. And, you know, if you see life as a classroom and you can really trust the universe that it knows what it's doing, mm. this person that wronged you was in your life for a reason to serve your education. They yeah. are serving as a teacher here. And whatever they did to you is making you grow. It's making you become stronger and wiser and more loving. Or it could be if you saw it as a lesson and decided to use it this way, yeah. right? Uh, That's huge. So, so if we can trust the universe, it knows what it's doing. And yeah, this interesting person showed up and hurt you or offended you. Well, what positive could be created from you having that experience? Hmm. Because as soon as you can start to see the ways that that experience could make you better, you'll start to find forgiveness becomes so easy. Well, because cl- the classroom paradigm is – it's a longer-term model, right? It's – you're here to learn and the learning will continue and that it will eventually be beneficial to you someday. Absolutely. Versus the non-classroom is, you know, you've just been hurt. And there's no, there's kind of no tomorrow. So well, there's no benefit get to it, it today. You got to get your benefit loss. right now, right? Right. Oh, so I, I did have a client years ago who had a really difficult mother who hurt her through her whole life, mm. and the anger and and hurt that she carried over that was just drowning her. Oh yeah. And so I remember the day that we sat down and said, let's let's see if we can name ten positives that having that mother has created in your life. And, you know, she could do it. She could Mm. come up with things like, you know, it made me own my own sense of self-worth and not try to get it from other people. And at a really deep level, because your mom is supposed to be your your source of unconditional love and you don't have it there. 
You have to dig deep to find it in yourself. And it's made her independent. It, it's made her work for things on her own. Right. I mean, there were all kinds of blessings. Huge. And as soon as she can get into a space of almost gratitude that God in the universe sent her this mother for a reason to help her become the woman she is today, uh, forgiveness. Boom. Yeah, it's so much easier. So, folks, we got to change cool. how we're seeing forgiveness and not just try to pardon the guilty because yeah. that'll never work. Well, and, and you'll know because you'll have peace or you won't. I mean, this, yeah. will provo- this will eventually produce peace and progress or kind of stagnation. So how do you want to live? It's a great question. How do you want to live? Kim Giles is her name. Go to the website, um, claritypointcoaching.com. You're starting a new program with teens. Amazing coaching boot camp for teens. And if you know a teen that's struggling or is, is really high risk, please visit our website and look into our coaching boot camps for teens. Sweet. Coaching boot camps for teens. Go to claritypointcoaching.com and get more information about Kim and all of those camps. Thank you, Kim. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Good news coming from our good uh, buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, BYU won the football game against uh, Cincinnati. Let's shoot it down to Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's well, up, Matt? What happened with you guys? Hey, we're just uh, working on the mannequin challenge right we ju- now. We just pardon. We're, we're snapping. <laughs> uh, yeah, our mannequin challenge. We, we're planning on doing one soon for uh, Twitter. Really? Not mm-hmm. today, though. Not today. You love you some mannequin challenge. Have you seen any of these? No, I haven't. Okay, so basically, hold still. A group of people hold still, you know, <laughs> mid-action. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're pretty cool, actually. The it BYU cool. gymnastics teams did one, so imagine they're on oh, the, wow. ball, the bars and so on. They they did one that have, has two million views. And ESPN tweeted about it. ESPN W. But so, have you guys been practicing, or have you actually shot yours? You just hold. No, you just hold. No, still. but like I mean, like you got to get the right look and the right feel we have the right look have you seen us yeah that's why i was saying <laughs> you got to just work on the look there's the nothing to work on it's been feel. worked on um okay god worked on it a long time ago yeah almost seems like he didn't <laughs> almost seems like he got real busy that day there, there were there were certain parts of the world that uh seemed like they weren't worked on as much <laughs> so um and then you're going to post it and then all of a sudden you're famous yeah, more that's, famous. Something like that's that. our goal. Something no. like that. Man, the the gymnastics team, two million views. Yeah, Sheesh. pretty cool. It's you pretty awesome. It. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's well, pretty awesome. Well, maybe I ought to because I could get each one of my guys to like strike a pose like the gymnast did, like on the high beam. And we've the... seen your crew. We don't think that's going to. Happen. I would highly recommend you not ask them to do that because I don't think any of them will return safely. Oh, that's funny. Then we could include. There will be harm or accident upon them. Then we could include the sports medicine team that could like you know. Be fixing all of us <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> Maybe you should do that. How Mannequin was the challenge inside the training room? <laughs> this would not be great. We're all exhausted, and I mean, they're taping us up. How was the game for you two? I know you have to work. You're very busy that day. It was good. Yeah, you guys it wasn't hear that the most BYU exciting won. Exciting football no. game. No, 
But it was exhilarating that the word choice of Kalani Satake because his team held Cincinnati to three points. Mm. And that does not happen very often. In fact, we will talk about how rare that is for BYU recently to hold a team to three points or less coming up on the show. It was an exciting game. We got some interceptions. Got I mean, it was fun. I mean, not not exciting throughout the game, but like ten moments. There were yeah, there were some moments. There was the flea flicker that was cool. Mm. There was the third and nine draw play that Ty Detmer drew up that was cool. Yeah, they converted a third and fourteen on a Taysom Hill draw. Taysom Hill's touchdown run. Like yeah, there there were some moments in that game, and I think defensively. Uh, holding Cincinnati a couple of times on fourth and short, um, were those were the moments that Kalani got the most excited about what his team was doing. Yeah, yeah. Is it uh, when you look at it as two experts? Do you see progress? Do you see? I mean, are we going to run the rest of the games here now? I, I don't see progress, but that doesn't mean it's not good enough, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that BYU will re- win the next three games. If they don't, that will be an extreme disappointment. In fact, ESPN says BYU has the highest percentage chance of winning out uh, of any team in the country. Yeah, they just needed to get through Cincinnati, and now that 85%. percentage goes way up. Yep. Wow. So BYU will finish the regular season 8-4, and four, which, is, which is fantastic. That's uh, great. Chance for 9 in the bowl game. So they're in line for 9. <laughs> Make put that on a T-shirt. Hey, I, we might be putting Jerem, something on a Jerem T-shirt. Jerem channeled his inner anchor boy. I'm proud of you for doing that. His inner anchor boy. I I joke with Spencer a lot because like the cutesy phrases, you know, yeah. like inline for nine is definitely cutesy. So I'll say anchor boy strikes again. <laughs> the drive for five. <laughs> you got it, man. Well, he were he was anchor boy for many years. He still is. Oh, yeah. in my well, mind, it's different kind of yeah sports broadcast. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm to- he doesn't have the teleprompter as much. I'm totally with you. Are you guys ready to vote tomorrow? I mm. voted on Friday. Oh, yeah, Jam took care of it early. So um, <sighs> two that- hours in line, baby. Oh, really? Yeah. Nightmare. Thank the- goodness. Thank goodness We're for the- iPhones, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was just looking at Norman memes on uh, Instagram. That's what got me through. It, it, yeah, pulled you through. I mean, guys, it's a big vote. A lot of things could change, or or not, or not. <laughs> It's the neat thing is no matter what we've got each other. I just want that you guys to know do. that. Sports will continue, Matt. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, and I want you to know I'm here for you. Um, if you guys have food storage, I'll be there with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll bring you. Uh, we'll be hanging out at Costco. Okay. <laughs> I am gonna get randomly just a bunch of water and gas. Yeah. Just Costco. in case. Just you never in know. Case. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be surprised. We'll be stocking up. What's uh, What's happening on your show today? Well, other than so, oh, dis- so much. Other than discussing the BYU Cincinnati seventeen plus point win and our going for two picks, we have ESPN's Trevor Maddich on what impressed him the most from BYU and which opponent he feels like BYU would be best suited to face in the poinsettia bowl. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. It, it, it's it's an interesting take. Yeah, okay. Also he tells us what he thinks is BYU's most impressive win. This year? Yeah. Cool. Ever. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Of all time. Of all time. That's so, cool. There you go, man. Maddich is on it. Okay, guys, then let us just leave you with this one wonderful sound. It is Hug a Bear Day. Hi, I'm Snuggle. Let's make the world a softer place. Let's snuggle. <laughs> I love Snuggle Bear. Do you love Snuggle Bear? Yes. I would throw a dryer sheet in the dryer for that. You know what? I'm going to throw a dryer sheet your way. 
And Thank you. We're gonna you know make what? we're gonna make the world a softer Dryer place. Dryer sheets are like pennies. Like one drops on the ground, you're like, nah, I don't need to pick it up. Don't need to pick that yeah, up. Yeah, don't worry about it. I like to wear my dryer sheet on my um, leg, statically, mm-hmm. electric, yeah. electrically smell charged. Nice. I want different smells for those, though. That's the issue. Mm. I don't want like just the same genre of smells. like a deer like, musk. Mm, this smells mm-hmm. like pickles. Mm. Yes, I'm delicious. With it. Smell like grass, <laughs> like candles. You know, your dryer sheet smells like candles. All right, guys. My clothes smell like tomatoes. (laughs) Have a nice show. Knock them dead. Thank you, sir. Keep it up. Keep up the great work. You know, it's um, it really is. It's the election just keeps kind of circling back, circling back. Right when you think you're done, boom, it's back. Kind of like a dryer. And if only we could throw in a fabric softener sheet and to just freshen things up. Yeah. Now, let me just suggest something. No matter what happens, um, there was a moment that I just can't stop thinking about with President Obama. And he, you know, he was on the trail pitching Hillary Clinton. But he he held up a difference when and it's again, whether you like him or not, he's in a group of people. Somebody starts chanting something that's pro uh, that's anti-Hillary, pro-Donald, and the crowd starts booing this old man out. They're getting rid of him. They're booing him. And the president, which I think is easy to do in your eighth year, seven and a half years into this, you're on your way out. But he just turned so presidential. He got the crowd to calm down. Don't. No. Let's respect this guy. He, we know he's, he's a soldier, apparently, because he was dressed in his 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 uh, kind of his veterans gear. He also um, obviously wants to vote and and thinks voting is important. And he made he made these statements. So class act, totally class act. And I thought that's what we need. That's and maybe that's what happens with the president is, you know, in eight years, you can like him and love him and see him as a class act. So Obama, he's a class act, and uh, with Hillary and Trump, it's likely going to be a class action. It's probably going to be a class action or two type of lawsuit. But in the end, you decide. Tomorrow's your vote, your chance to make the big decisions and to decide which way we're going to be taking this. Um, Also, though, in the end, these people, it's time to kind of clean house and let's pick our games up. let's, Let's make America better and let's demand better candidates uh, down the line. Let's demand that everybody go learn and what made this election work and not work. Why were we choosing people that uh, a very large majority of people weren't necessarily thrilled about? Let's let's do some learning while we're at it as well. And uh, get ready. If you don't know where to vote, then spend tonight figuring it out. But get out there tomorrow and do your voting. Uh, we always like to end with a hero story. Our hero today, he's a person that jumped into action. Listen to this. Residents of West Kelowna's Paradise Mobile Park are calling several young men heroes after they put their own safety aside Monday night and jumped to the rescue of a woman whose home went up in flames. The fire erupted at 9 p.m., quickly overtaking the mobile home's front porch and moving on to the rest of the structure. A neighbor out on his balcony saw the flames and called 911. Lucas Truman, David Hillary, and a few others, unidentified men, rushed to the woman's rescue after it was determined that she was still inside. 
One young man heard her screaming from her back window. I have no idea what his name is. He was there like an angel and then disappeared after. But he jumped over the fence, said a neighbor. Lucas then went flying in. The women reportedly tried to escape out the back but couldn't get the doors to open. The men tried to kick in the back door, but the flames and the smoke were too thick to enter. They were able to find the woman near a window in the back of the home, pulled her out while the other neighbors found a ladder. Anyway, they, the um, the other young guy that came out after they got her out and he was shaking, the neighbor said, he asked me if I had a lighter. I said, I know how funny it is, but I need to smoke. <laughs> anyway, some kids, teens, just heroes of the day, willing to step in and, and help this person out. They ended up getting her a blanket. They brought her some shoes that she could wear and they just hugged her. Um, as she sat there in shock about the whole ordeal. That's the hero, folks. And every one of us can be a hero. Over the next little while, There's going to be a, uh, we're going to need a lot of love in this country. So let's step up and let's be there for each other. Let's make sure that we, uh, we see each other as human beings. Let's not demean each other and try to dehumanize right now, even though it would be so easy politically. We're still one, and we're still one disaster away from having everybody become one together. Anyway, let's make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and make make it a great one. We'll be back.